When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, my fellow Westorians. Welcome back to History of Westeros podcast. I'm Aziz. We've got Sean and Ashea with us, as we usually do on Mondays. Reminder that Monday live streams every 6 p.m. at Eastern Standard Time. Well, Eastern Time. Standard. It's not always standard, is it? But... (laughs) Is when we do the spoiler-free reviews, and on Saturdays at 3, we have spoiler-filled reviews that also serve as previews for the next episode. One thing we got today before this episode was a share, and I did an interview with Ryan Condal, showrunner of House of the Dragon. This is on the heels of our interview with George R. R. Martin himself. Ryan actually made some comments today that will are a little bit relevant to some of the lore and some of the... the topics that are front and center so you're going to want to check that out and we'll work in a little bit of what we learned today uh if possible yeah you should see that on your feeds late tuesday night tomorrow night um and it's, it's about 30 to 40 minutes long yeah so yeah it went very well we're, we were real happy with it and this week's episode of house of the dragon we're also very happy with we got the New intro sequence, which is really cool, and we'll spend some time talking about that at a later date once we've had time to fully analyze it. The short version uh, of explanation is in our synopsis. We have been putting out synopsis videos slash podcast episodes, very short, only nine minutes long. Good way to set you up for this and other live streams. A lot of y'all catch live streams from other podcasts as well or just listen to the podcasts in edited form, whichever you prefer. And this is just a really good way, I think, to get yourself familiar with everything. Make sure you have all the details straight. Make sure you catch some of the themes. There's a lot to catch, as you well know. And this is our way of leading into each week. So check that out each time before you catch our live stream, certainly before our Saturday episodes as well. But to describe it briefly, the intro credits in the show is the model of old Valyria that Viserys has been building, which some people have theorized that that's what the intro would be. And they were right. it follows the different bloodlines of House Targaryen through literal rivers of blood, through yeah. actual bloodlines. So that is uh, going to be a fun thing to analyze a little deeper. Yeah, it's really excellent detail. It's It looks awesome. And uh they held it off for one week, Dibby, to build the surprise a little more. It certainly worked for me. I, I thought it was really cool. And it <coughs> excuse me, it, it gave us a little bit of a, a, a funny thing happening on our end of the world. We had our very cool homemade intro by Bran Winslow, Bran the Builder. 
And since the first episode didn't have the intro sequence, a lot of people thought ours was the real intro sequence, which is very complimentary to Bran. But also, it's it, there's a lot of things they have in common, like the dripping blood was a thing he she put in there, and the crowns, like Viserys's crown and Aegon's crown, those are in there. Yeah, there's certain iconography that it makes sense that they would have in common, especially like fire and blood and bloodlines. That makes sense as well. I really thought there was a shot that the painted table was going to end up being part of the official intro and then it would have been very close so it's nice that they're uh their own things yeah yeah it was very cool so yeah we'll stay tuned we'll have more to say about that sean what did you think of it we haven't heard from you yet uh i i was immediately trying to piece together what we were looking at yeah. you know what these images were should i be recognizing sigils or something and but i became so overwhelmed with all the you know the actual show plot line and characters and everything that i I had almost forgotten about it, but then I saw someone say it was the bloodlines. I was like, oh, that's genius. And so then I go back and, you know, look more carefully. And I'm sure there's still imagery I, I'm not familiar with. And in fact, at one point, I think the bloodlines kind of travel under an archway. And it looks yeah, like there's a bunch of sigil there. there I know I need to pause that and look at it more closely. There's so, I, I want to point out that we're doing this less than 24 hours since the episode yeah. came out. And, you know, that. We get somewhere in there, ostensibly, we've got to sleep, and you guys even did this extra interview, so, you know, it's hard to, you know, always within the next couple of days after this, we're coming up with more stuff, and that's why there's so much interaction, you know, in this community online, there'll be all kinds of comments, there's people, in, oh, you know, while I'm thinking about it, in the chat, usually I go back and, and read through all our chats, because it's too much to keep up with as we're recording, you know, but... I don't want to spoil myself. I don't want you guys to have to edit yourselves in a chat. And I don't want to spoil myself. I'm trying to stay somewhat unsullied. So maybe later, if someone <laughs> wants to message me specifically, I'm on Facebook or Twitter. If someone wants to highlight something, no. but I'm sorry, I'm not going through to see what you guys are saying in the chat right now. Right on. Well, that's, that's understandable, Sean. So last week we ended our episode with the three by three, which is when we name our, each the three of us name our favorite performance, our favorite plot slash scene and our favorite dragon bit now it isn't necessarily favorite it's just the one we wanted to highlight maybe it's one that hasn't gotten enough attention maybe it's one that over the course of several weeks they've built up some acclaim and we want to point it out it's really it's just our favorite yeah it could just be our favorite so last week we ended with that but we're going to start with it from now on because it's a good way to kick things off. It's a little lighter, lighter topic. Also, it allows y'all who are watching live to weigh in with your own takes, and we can incorporate that in the episode. I also put this up to our Facebook group. Uh, as usual, our Facebook group and our Discord group are the best ways to interact with us and with other Westorians in between episodes. The poll asked everyone in the Facebook group which performance was the strongest last week. I allowed multiple votes so people could pick more than one actor if they liked. Number one was Sean Brook, who got 38% of the vote. Millie Alcock, 20%. Matt Smith, 15%. Patty Considine, 14%. So those were the, the standouts, the top four there. Sean Brook was um, Emma. 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 Yes, that's right. right. Yeah. Yes. So of course, part of the reason she was picked is people knew they wouldn't. She was great, first of all, but also because there wouldn't be another chance wouldn't to have pick another her. Chance. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of straightforward there. But definitely she deserves it. This week, okay, so my highlight performance, I'll start. I, I'm going to go with Emily Carey. I think her Allison is, A, a m much more lifelike than the source material, which, of course, it is. It's a maesterly account, and the maesters often don't pay attention to the personalities of young girls. Like, they don't often pay attention to the personalities of people in general. That's just how history kind of works. It's, it's detached from that sort of thing. But her portrayal not only is very uh, sympathetic, which... 
Allison's portrayal in Fire and Blood is not terribly sympathetic. Again, because of the way it's presented and who the presenter is. But I just love how she just seems like she's barely keeping it together. And some of the teams like she's nervous. She knows there's a lot of pressure on her. She doesn't quite understand all the intrigue because she's 15, but she's smart enough to sense a lot of it. She she understands the way she looks at her father is very telling. She she shoots daggers almost the way she stares back at him when they're having interactions like she does not approve of what her father's forcing her to do but she doesn't really have a choice but to go along with it and we and her interactions with Viserys are very tender even though their relationship is <laughs> problematic they do have a genuine bond they definitely are bonding over grief there's no she is not faking her interest in him even though her father would want her to if she didn't really have it now i'm not saying she's romantically interested in him that is unclear but she likes talking to him. She likes she, their shared grief is meaningful. She, and you know, likes making him feel better. So he thinks about her differently, I'm sure. But I'm focused on her right now, and I think that her portrayal really sells all this quite well. I'm very convinced. Are we sure she's only 15? Yes. Could could she be 16 she's, or 17 she's 15. at least? Yeah. She's 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's very young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was an interview um, with Ken Renfro was one of the people who did the interview. I think it was a round table, but where um, at the beginning of the show, Rhaenyra and Alicent are 14. Obviously, a little bit of time has passed, but we hear that Rhaenyra in this episode is 15. So it's not possible for much more time to have passed for Alice. Like, even if they're half a year apart, she's probably not even 16. Like, it's technically, maybe she could possibly be, I don't think, I think she's 15. Yeah. It's been about a half a year since episode yeah. one, just so, to be made, that's made yeah. clear in a few spots. So who is your, I'm, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk more about that through the course yeah. of this, but yeah. Shea, who's your pick? You know, I, I hate to choose just the same person as you. I, I, but you kind of convinced me more about Emily Carey. I already <laughs> wanted to say Emily Carey, but I was, I also really liked Millie Alcock. I really liked her Rainiera. She's um, super good. She's but you did convince me a lot that I think Emily Carey had had more more weight to carry, more burden there with to her carry. role. Yeah, to carry. <laughs> <laughs> to Emily Carey. Yeah. Yes, nice. But I, I, I think I'm just gonna go with Emily Carey too for this one. Nice. What about you, Sean? Who's your pick? So Millie Alcock, that's Rhaenyra's. Yeah. Yes. Right. Rhaenyra, right? Mm -hmm. She's she's my pick. Second week in a row. I think I I don't want to take away from anyone else. And sometimes I feel like uh sorry, I'm not keeping the actor's name up. Constantine. Patty Constantine. Constantine. Patty yeah. Constantine. I've been on the verge of picking him both times. He's so close. Like his role is so just his presence and the fact that he's in the most scenes probably of anyone. So I, when I reflect on it, I feel like he's going through a range of stuff, mm -hmm. but as I watch it, I'm not being impressed, but Millie Alcock, both when I reflect on it and through the course of watching it, she's the one that's really hitting me as a performer. So I did a poll in the YouTube chat, since that's a thing that we can do. Someone requested that since they're not oh, on nice. Facebook or Twitter, not everyone is on social media. So I did a little yeah. mini poll I could only do four options okay. because that's the that's the max. I did Emily Carey, Millie Alcock, Eve Best, and Matt Smith were the four I chose. Just okay. you know, um, for Rainey's and Damon were the other two. Millie Alcock is currently winning. It'll end nice. in two minutes, but <laughs> um. yeah. Um, and uh, by the way, I think you two might be upset with you not including them as social media. <laughs> 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 that's awesome. I'm going to pick for my favorite plot slash scene. I'm going to pick the overhead shot of the Valyria model. I, I stared at this for many minutes looking for detail and just in awe of how cool it is. I think Ashea has an image of it she could put up. Yeah. It is so cool. I love that so much. I mean, I'm just a, a real geek for the model stuff. We we learned from our interview, Ryan Condal's a real geek about 
props. He actually has his own podcast with David Mandel, who and they talk. It's all about props. It's called um, the Stuff, Stuff Dreams Are Made, made of, of. Yeah, and it's a props movie props podcast for. And, uh, there we go. So you can tell some of his love got into this. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, sure can. Super cool. Yeah, it's this... cool. You can like zoom in and see that it says Valeria in the book right there. I think that's so cool. You can just really see all these details. Yeah, and his description of it we'll talk about later. But just that moment of looking above and looking down on that was just I was overwhelmed with the awesomeness of that what about you Shay? what was your highlight plot moment or scene lena 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 <laughs> little lena yeah you know <laughs> i love lena and that actress they pictured is so cute and tiny and she's so passionate about dragons she's just a little dragon nerd and she's just a, a little girl who has who's interested in like you know, it's, I, I compared it to like a horse girl when I was on Joe Magician's stream last night. And yeah, it's basically like that, just that the passion of being a young child. Yeah, I wonder if Viserys was a little put off by that because he's obviously big into the history of Valyria, but he doesn't like the dragons that much. Like he was talking about how they're dangerous and we never should have trifled with them. And then he never took another dragon when his died. And he even talks about his own dragon being something too fearsome. But she's like, dragon, yeah, I love the dragons. Vagar, Valerian, he, maybe he was like, Ooh, I don't, I don't like talking about the dragons. <laughs> but I don't know. That was just uh, he you was uncomfortable in general. To use him too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. What about your pick, Sean? What was your give a highlight moment here? It's tough. There, there's a bunch. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I don't have like one single one that rose above the others. Other than maybe a dragon moment, which we're gonna give it something <laughs> in a second. Uh, I, I, I'll say, uh, maybe the. Uh, Maybe it's also Elena's scene. It, it, maybe it's hard for me to even like be excited about this because it was like it's it's I don't know it's mixed up with some toughness. Just the image of Asaurus and Lena together. Just this, <laughs> yeah, this juxtaposition. Twelve-year-old goal and 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 the parents even looking on. Like I don't know. It's I I, I will say that like that it's not like a scene. It was like exciting or cool or fun to me. But it might be the scene that hit me the most. It, it, it has. It, is most affecting the rest of my thoughts around mm. the show and the characters, you know? So. It was super interesting how Rainier was watching them talk from a distance and Rainice was watching her watch them from a distance. Yeah, that was really, <laughs> I, really Yeah, I appreciate it. I watched the um, behind-the-scenes featurette that's uh, 22 minutes, the house the dragons built they have for each episode, and they talked about how when they built the set for the Red Keep and uh, in King's Landing, they really wanted to make sure there were all these different vantage points where you could oh. watch people from. And you see that when you see Damon watching the small council and you see Rainey's watching that's both true. when they're picking the Kingsguard and when they're looking on over Lena. It's just yeah, a lot of watching. My favorite dragon moment was the singing. The way the dragons were communicating with each other, the way they were like making these different kinds of squeaks and howls and groans and growls and it was it reminded me of whales, like the way whales communicate. It sounded like whale song to me and I thought it was a great touch and it expands on just the way they're giving a lot of detail and individuality to these dragons and giving them like behaviors and, and personalities and I love that. It's it's this great detail. What about you, Shea? Mm, well, I mean, it's funny because I'm naming the same scene as before, but I would say that maybe my favorite dragon moment is the mention of Vagar there. <laughs> but my favorite on-screen dragon moment is just long boy Caraxes. Long He's boy. just a wormy long boy. <laughs> he just looks so funny to me. I really, really like that design a whole lot. I think that of all the, out of the dragons we've seen so far, Caraxes is my favorite design. Nice. <laughs> 
Sean, do you have a pick here? Oh yeah, it was the the sort of reaction to Cyrax, Caraxes. Oh, Caraxes. Okay. Uh, Damon's. Yeah, yeah, Caraxes. Yeah, Caraxes. All, all these, all this sort of pomp and arrogance of Otto and Kristen Cole walking in there, and then they're like, "Whoops! Oh wait, hold on. We've gone too <laughs> far. <laughs> we didn't know it was gonna be this kind of party." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it frustrated me on one hand that what did Otto think was going to happen? Exactly. There? Yeah. The dragon wasn't going to be a part of this. And I don't know, maybe on some level he was willing to die or just needed to make the statement or whatever. But still, I appreciate that even Kriston, who probably wasn't thinking about political implications or strategy, still went from like, maybe you'll remember when I knocked you off my your horse <laughs> to like, oh crap, that's seriously a dragon now. Yeah. I don't know about that. I'm not yeah. knocking you off that. Uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, that's really good. And I agree with you about what was Otto expecting. That's a, a point we'll discuss later. Like, that was another example of misrule. Like, this was not I... who should have been sent. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. I, I think a misrule from Viserys, yes. but I think exactly what Otto wanted. Oh, yeah. Otto wanted it, but he shouldn't have wanted it. He wanted to put Damon down, and he didn't. maybe didn't think it through, and... I think yeah. he's, it's I mean, also, I think he was trying to instigate Damon to outright revolt. Like, I think he's trying to take care of Damon and he's like, I'm going to needle him. But which is why I think it was a weird call from him because he's putting himself at risk. I feel yeah, that's like why I don't think I, he was I, I feel like if he had just sent all of those people, but Otto hadn't gone, Damon might have escalated that to violence and then it would have done what Otto wanted. Hmm. But Otto being there I, kind of. Stop I feel like it. Otto made it more likely to become violent, and that's that's why I think it was miserable. I think Ray, the mistake was not sending Rainier in the first place. She was the right person for the job, which she proved by doing it. Uh, but I, anyway, I can see different interpretations. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Again, I agree the mistake on Viserys' part, but I think that from Otto's perspective, he was trying to stir up trouble. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that, because like you said, he didn't bring enough men to defend himself if trouble started. He was It was a suicide mission if he wanted to provoke Damon. I mean, I guess the, then the other alternative is that Otto is just completely naive and blindsided by this, which doesn't seem like he would be to me. Like, it seems like mm. he was taking a very calculated risk there. Like, that was very dangerous. I, I, I just, I can't imagine why he wouldn't have considered the dragon. Yeah, like even if he thought maybe they could win some sort of skirmish, that he could get out alive after skirmish, uh-huh. back reports on it. But it's, that's it, Damon's and so. But what if the dragon just burned them all alive right then and there? Like then what? Another odd moment about that was they brought the maester with them too. Like why is he? There? That, I, that's, I think that's more proof that they did not actually expect violence. Like he didn't bring a lot yeah. of men. He didn't bring like his be- he didn't bring any sort of Except force that could stand up to a violence, dragon what did he expect did he expect him like ah you're right never mind here's the egg like it's weird to think what he did expect you know yeah i think he expected that he would listen to the order of his brother uh that he wouldn't wouldn't obey i think i think i do i don't think it's that strange that otto didn't think it all the way through because i think otto was was really wanted I do think he was dishonest when he said, "Oh, it's too dangerous for you to go." He was—he didn't mean that. It's not dangerous. I don't think it was. I don't think he thought it was dangerous at all. I think he was just saying that. I think he just wanted to be the one to shut Damon down because yeah. he doesn't like him. I think I agree. I think with he just that. wanted to one up him and didn't think that it would come to violence. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, let's move on. We've, we've spent too much time on this point. So six months have passed. That's that's roughly where we're at. The t- episode is called "The Rogue Prince," but it reminds me of the lost translation of the prince that was promised because it's also the rogue princess she goes a little rogue on she goes she goes against her father's orders right and uh, to good effect and she also sort of pushes back 
against Otto's wishes with the selection of the Kingsguards. And it also maybe refers to the crab feeder, Kragas, who was a prince admiral, and he perhaps has gone beyond his mandate from the Free Cities. But that's not quite clear yet, and we'll, we're, it's not certain either, but he's certainly one of the other princes in the story at this point. Some themes that we'll be keeping an eye on throughout this. We've got powerlessness, proving yourself. We've got privilege is a major one, especially um, on both ends of it. We've got lower-born characters like Mazaria and Kristen Cole, and higher-born people like Damon and Corlys, who still uh, feel that they've been wronged despite having so much else going for them as well. Uh, we have duty versus love, a very old theme in Game of Thrones, dating all the way back to book one of Aemon, Maester Aemon talking to John. There's did a you, lot of that in this one. Did you say booty versus love? Booty versus love. Oh. <laughs> duty <laughs> duty okay, versus okay. love, yes. <laughs> Marrying for love or duty is a big, this is specifically where this comes up a lot. Uh, Viserys, Lena, Alicent, of course, are the, thrown into the midst of this mostly but their families as well the ones pushing them towards it Rhaenys and Corlys and Otto Damon too as well talks to Rhaenyra about the fact that he wasn't able to choose his bride he was forced to marry Rhea Royce he didn't have any say in it of course some of the subtext there is that we're not long away from Rhaenyra also having to marry but that obviously hasn't happened yet so we'll, we'll hold on to that for later when it does happen so factions are forming people are starting to team up uh, people of action are taking action. People who prefer the slow burn, the slow plotting, the methodology are doing their thing. Let's start with Rhaenyra as heir because uh, it's a, despite the passage of time, it doesn't seem like she's being treated much differently. She isn't really being treated like an heir. She's still just pouring wine and, and she makes a suggestion council and she kind of gets, shut, well, not kind of, she gets shut down and kicked out basically. It's, it's a gentle kicking out, but she's kicked out. Yeah, Viserys just lets people talk over her. Not like not only the heir, but a princess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he talks over her himself when they have their private dinner too. She's yeah. like, I thought I was making a good suggestion. He's like, You'll learn. He doesn't even let her finish. Like, I, I thought I had a good idea, Dad. She's like, No. He, yeah, that was that was rude, and <laughs> not how you would treat someone that you're raising to make decisions. So, yeah. I wanted so bad in that moment for her to say, Learn what. What, what can you tell me what it is Ooh. I was supposed to learn there mm. right like if he really wanted to learn he should actually teach her more rather than just put her in her place and hope she gets it what is she supposed to get that she's not supposed to speak up like that was the implication to me he needed to tell her what she was supposed to learn and she maybe needed to ask too I, even if only to make him realize that he wasn't teaching her well or that he had relegated her out of the position she was ostensibly mm. supposed to be in um, that's a good point I, I also also, later on, I went so bad when she came back from Dragonstone and he was kind of upset with her, like, you this and a danger and you shouldn't. I wish she had said, you'll learn. <laughs> Thrown that back in his face. That would have been fantastic. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're talk you know, you were mentioning how, how Viserys hasn't really been teaching her anything. Obviously, Rainey's, as we'll get to, was trying to teach her some things. Yeah. The only other person in the episode that actually gave Rainier a concrete advice. Allison's. No. Okay. Allison, too. Otto. Oh, yeah. Okay. Otto, like, she's standing there not knowing what to do. That's no one true. has guided her for this at all. And Otto really saves, like, the day for her in that moment. Like, yeah, he's trying to push her around. In general, Otto sucks. But he still was like, you should thank him for his leal service. Like, like teaching no her one has taught her that. So, like, I appreciated that he at least guided her a little. It was really meaningful because it shows that no one, Viserys didn't teach her that. No one was teaching her that. Someone had to, like, 
ad lib it for her. I feel like Allison would have known to do that, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Allison would have. She's very proper and, yeah, courtly. It also did show she was wise enough. She was keen enough to know she couldn't just say, like, you're no good. You're no good. Next. Next. She she knew to not straight up insult him, but she didn't know quite how to proceed appropriately. And he stepped in and helped her with that. But she also knew enough that she would be able to assert herself in this moment. She knew she needed to follow certain etiquettes, but she didn't have to follow all the rules. Yeah, so, yeah, that and, was... And she knew well I'm enough... Sure we'll talk about this more yeah, in a minute. And she but, knew well uh... enough that this was very political and that she was, like, Otto was trying to manipulate there. She is savvy yeah. enough to tell that these strings are being pulled. Yeah. They, it, it was... She understands that there's a game, but she doesn't know some of the details of the Yes, the she can tell the, the game, game but... is being played, but yeah, you're right. She isn't fully aware of all the stakes and, and even all the players and, and, and the rules. What are the rules? What are the rules? I wanted to ask something. A little dance for you. I wanted to ask uh, uh, kind of a big question that, that leads into almost every aspect of this. How many Targaryens are there right now exactly? Is Are there literally just three? Is it just Viserys? Oh, oh four, I guess. Viserys, Damon, Rhaenyra, and... Rhaenys. Rhaenys, Rhaenys yeah. yeah. And, and there's other part Targaryens, yeah. technically, because Lena okay. and Laenor are half Targaryen through yeah. Rhaenys. Okay, yeah. So I would, I would count them as well, personally. Yeah, their, their last name is Velaryon, but yes. Or uncles or anything? I don't think so. No, um, that, that's it. That should be it at this point. Yeah, that, yeah. that is it. I could put, I'll put a family tree on the screen for everyone, and you'll see for yourself in one. one yeah, Emma moment. didn't have like brothers or sisters or anything, and she was half Targaryen. Yeah, there's just here's a yeah. spoiler-free uh, family tree that I have adapted from Michael Clarfeld, and the people, as you see down here, with pictures. This will help you um, for all. It adds, it adds a little more weight to the need for Viserys to you know get married and have more children. And I guess have a male heir because all the others are women except for Damon, I suppose. Um, but maybe they don't trust him to do it. Also, he hasn't done it on his wife, Rhea Royce. So, yeah. yeah, he's not even trying <laughs> to have kids with his wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or isn't able. I mean, they've given okay. us a couple pieces of evidence. I feel like I saw it again here. This, I might be jumping around in our, our outline, but I wanted to point out that I felt like Rhaenyra questioned it. When he was, she's like, what, you're going to have a child, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, she was asking that, I felt knowingly. Like, she knows that he can't. I wonder if that's been, hmm. he's confided that in her somehow. Hmm. She seemed particularly suspicious hmm. of that. And in the council meeting, when she overheard that, she kind of perked up too. That is an and interesting was, point. Was, I've never thought about that, but if he is someone that has lots of relations, which it's kind of suggested that he has... You'd think maybe he'd have a kid by now, a bastard yeah. child or something. The fact that he hasn't, maybe that is, maybe she's picked up on that. It's interesting. I, I it never would even this. have. It would even have reinforced his claim to the throne if he had to. That's true. Right? It seems like something he'd be motivated to do. It seems like he's having sex. It seems he has a wife. It seems like there's a lot of reasons why he could have, should have had a kid and doesn't. And it's been pointed out to us several times. So I, I, I don't know how exactly they'll ever make that clear but it's something i'm starting to believe right it, it may be the case or not i i won't say because it would be a spoiler but it doesn't matter whether it's true or not if rainier perceives that it might be because at this point she could see that okay he has no kids maybe he can't whether whatever happens later we'll see maybe he will have one or several but anyway at this point clearly there's none so coming back bringing this back to the king's guard selection this relates two characters are very related in the sense it's the point that 
uh, I mentioned at the beginning, the proving oneself. Rainier sort of proves herself in this moment by being the one to de-escalate all this, being the one to actually get Damon to back down, uh, down at Dragonstone. But uh, the point she makes here is the one that sets all that up, which is she says, well, which of these guys is actually has any fighting experience? Which is a great point to make, right? Like, yes, Otto's concerned with the politics, and there is some reason to be aware of the politics when you're choosing Kingsguard Knights. They serve as hostages, in a sense, to that family's house. They also have, there's a, a favor kind of going back and forth that could be. And, but Rainier's like, oh, I don't care about that. I want someone who knows how to fight because, like, who cares if this other stuff if they aren't actually good protectors? It's a pretty good point, right? And it, it gets down to the... She keeps bringing things down to their simplest base in, 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 a, in a wise way. She simplifies things that have become too lofty, too tainted by politics. Things like marriage and shows of force and, you no, know, like, just keep it to the basics is kind of her approach. And it, and it seems to work, at least so far. Now, of course, the long-term consequences of Kristen Cole as a Kingsguard are yet to be seen. It may not be as simple as it comes out at this point. Uh, the guy he's replacing is a really big deal. We'll talk about him some other time, but Ryan Redwine was a really important person. Can we talk about him at least a little bit right now? Because I had a question. Yeah, go for it. How did he die? Is it suspicious? No, no. They said he was old and sick okay. for a while. He was the Kingsguard yeah. standing okay. next to Jaharis at that great council, and he was okay. old there. Yeah. They, they said that he died peacefully in his sleep, which made me wonder. Well, they said he was ill poison. also, though. Had been ill for yeah, a while. Okay. Yeah, he was old. He was very but, old. But we also are seeing this maester seems either very incompetent or very unlucky. He is not doing a, a particularly <laughs> good job dealing with Viserys' illnesses. True. Uh, <laughs> yeah, ailments. And if he was in charge of the King Guards also, then uh, uh, even if he had access to them or their food, yeah. I don't know. I can't. I don't think. I don't think there's anything here, Sean. Um, okay. this, in this case, but it's it's good to worry. It's good to keep your keep your uh, suspicions open. But yeah, I don't think in this case he was. He had been Lord Commander for like forty years. He's very very up there. It's, it's not suspicious when a man that age dies. Um, so. The the new guy that replaces him is interesting. Yeah, like I said, we'll talk about Ryan some other time. He's got a whole long career. He he sort of sets the stage for what Kingsguard should be like. He's like the model Kingsguard uh, that someone like Kristen Cole would have grown up idolizing. A lot of these guys would have grown up idolizing him because he was such an amazing man during his time. That era is uh, Barristan Selmy. He is this era. In fact, they are compared. Yes, that's a great take, Sean. A great comparison. That is, is very much who he's compared to because Barristan was also a Lord Commander and long, long service. And yeah, still still relevant even when he's older. The chessboard thing is really cool for all the selection here and in, the, in this scene. And what's with the stool? Do you guys have any uh, thoughts on that? They they make a point of showing her standing up on that stool to look down over the railing and look down. I, I didn't know what they were suggesting with that. But I, I thought it was neat. My impression was that it was emphasizing that she was young mm. and a small girl and also that she was engaged and curious and interested. Mm. That it, like she, every time she'd have to like peer over, like it. I don't. I, it kind of. Like, I don't know that that was the point, but that's what it got across to me was that she was into this. Mm. That I, I thought that this isn't normally set up for her. Oh, I like that. Also, she had to step up to mm -hmm. the role, the decision. Yeah, that. that makes sense, Sean. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So. Moving on to the Lena Rainey's uh, section here. She, Lena, of course, is talking to Viserys and 
Rhaenyra sees this and Rhaeny- and Rhaeny sees that. <laughs> and she confronts her with this great question. Does it bother you? And they have this very tense but polite exchange, like forced politeness where they're very, they're referring to each other by their full titles. Like, yes, Princess Rhaenyra. Yes, Princess Rhaenys. But they're, they're, it's a little bickering, but they kind of, uh, they're in the same place in a lot of ways. But maybe Rhaenyra doesn't want to admit that it's the same place because, no, they didn't bow to you. But Rhaenyra says, no, or Rhaeny says, it's not really that different. They're still not going to want to swear to you, even though they bowed to you, even though they did all that. He's going to remarry. You know this. It's probably going to be a boy, and everyone's going to expect that boy to overpass you, to you, you know, take your spot. And that's just how it is. That's the the order of things, as you said. That was obviously one of the recurring lines from the trailers, even well before the show even aired. So that was a, meant to be an important moment here. You know, it's funny that um, it's 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 Eve Best addressed this in the behind the scenes where she talked about the idea that Rainey's like kind of has a vested interest for her own uh, pride that the patriarchy is holding Rhaenyra down. So she kind of wants this to be the case a little bit mm-hmm. deep down. Uh, it's, it, it, she is looking out for Rhaenyra, but she's also looking out for herself there. But also when she's having this conversation with her where she tells her, hey, you're going to be disinherited, she thinks in her head that she'll be disinherited by her grandkids. She goes, it's a little more pointed there <laughs> yeah, it's than like what it ends up being. Yeah, like my daughter's kids are going to be the ones to take Yeah, that's spot. what she's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I, and, and Rhaenyra knows that because she's just watching Lena talk to her father, so she's aware. That's, that's definitely a huge undertone in this conversation. It's not, it's like some boy. It's like, no, a boy that comes from your daughter is, <laughs> is really what you're saying here. But of course, that doesn't happen. They don't get married, but that doesn't mean a boy won't come along from Alicent instead. <laughs> you know, another, hmm, I don't know, subtext in all this is that I, I think we all agree, and even the characters in this world seem to agree, that there is a level of inappropriateness for a girl this young to be getting married, yes, right? Yes. And even to the king, it's still like this shaky thing that's going on that everyone's like, I don't know, I guess. Most of, his, most of his counselors are ignoring that, but he, but several people yeah. aren't, yeah. Um, they, and, uh, anyway, it, it, it shows like the, the, the extra level of commitment or whatever that Rainey's has to this, that it maybe she, she kind of needs to be correct about it. Yeah. In the same way that it, it's kind of more of a personal slight on her if Rhaenyra gets to become queen. Yeah, and then she but didn't. if it's, oh, they just always pick them in, then it becomes more of a personal slight on her. So uh, it sort of also is a defense against her, you know, uh, ego or whatever yeah. for her daughter her to be God, the one because yeah. it reaffirms that, yeah, they just, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. And it's the duty-love theme again, right? Rainier is like, or Rhaenys is like, I, of course I hate it. I don't want to put my daughter through this, but I think I feel like I have to. Just like I was put I through think, stuff and you're being put through stuff. It's, it's, yeah, this isn't a marriage for love. It's a marriage of duty. And this, this arrangement is also a marriage of duty. This is a little more than duty and love, though, because this isn't like a romantic love. This is the love for her child. And this is like right. levels of morality, not right. just yeah. relationships, love within relationships. This is, in fact, I wanted to bring this up later, but all I could think that time when Corliss was like, the realm is watching and he's talking about to see how Viserys responds to Damon, but the realm is also watching him marry a 12 year old girl. Like what kind of message yeah. does that send to the people of the realm? That's also bad. They're definitely caught up in their 
power-hungry little worlds of politicking and nuts not thinking about the, the morality of what they're doing to the people involved or the impact it will have on how the people of the land perceive mm. their leaders' moralities. Yeah, you know? I mean, like, I mean, and that speaks to I, the privilege stuff that as a theme here. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think they're able to justify it. Like, I think you, I mean, you can tell that Corlys has mixed feelings about this. They have, they linger on him as he watches Lena go off with Viserys, and Rainey's even says out loud that she is not of course i hate uh, yeah, yeah of course i'm bothered or whatever but yeah. i still think that they're if you're talking about like it's duty versus love i think there's a part of them that would say yeah they're doing this out of love for their daughter because they want to they love her enough to make her queen yeah and like, they think yeah, they're doing right by her yes. they they don't yeah, i think yeah. they do genuinely think that ultimately this is the right thing to do for 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 lena and for the whole family and this is another theme yeah. of the episode mazaria is the one who puts it into words she says look i attach myself to you because you your protection liberates me from fear. I can be a whole person or close to a whole person because I'm no longer worried about being enslaved or murdered. That's the same thinking here. If you're more powerful than everyone else, then no one holds power over you. The safest you can be is is your safety is tied to your power, to your place in the hierarchy. It's not always true because sometimes it makes you a target, but that's how these power players think. They think the higher you are, sometimes. the safer you are. Sometimes it makes you a slave. Was Anna yes. safe? No, no she wasn't. That, right? and, and Viserys, that's, so, as we talked about, this is this theme of powerless, that even the king himself, even Viserys, is, feels like he is a slave to duty, and he is. The system he, is the problem here. Yeah. yeah like, it's not like yeah. he has to marry. It's not, it's not like we, we can't justify necessarily him marrying this young girl, but it, you can see why it's it's being pushed on him for political reasons, power reasons, and for reasons that might prevent war. So it's like, it, it isn't only the, why, the only consideration. But they have to ignore all these other factors yeah. too. Right. It's not the only consideration, but I think they are letting that consideration outweigh more important ones, Potentially. basically mm -hmm. out of greed and selfishness and yeah. whatever else. And it, and this, again, that speaks to the, this is another condemnation yeah. of the system itself. It's like, well, yeah. it, the system creates yeah. these situations where you know, yeah. families like, have to I don't know if they, sacrifice their young women to, to stay relevant. I don't know if they were intending it, but we see this parallel of Masaria, you know, it's, is paired up with the the prince of the land, the king's brother, and she's realizing, right, this isn't very safe. Yeah. Like, so Alicent's going to marry the king. Is it really going to be that safe? Was it that safe for Emma? Uh, there's a certain <laughs> level of liberty you'd rather have than safety too. Yeah. Which is even what Masaria said. She did this for liberation, not for a position or whatever else. And the, I, who knows what this 12-year-old girl wants? No one's asking her. Mm -mm. They're just deciding that she wants, quote, unquote, safety, which we know isn't really safety, instead of her liberty. And I don't know. It's frustrating for me to watch all these characters make all these bad decisions. So anyway, we should move on. And Otto, Otto is, is the cunning one about this. They present this marriage. Like, look, look at the political... Look at the power. Look at how this will help the realm. That's not really Viserys' not number one concern. <laughs> Otto knows the king way better, and he understands what makes him tick and understands how his decision process works. So it's very much knowing your target. Otto is doesn't openly say it's a bad idea because... It's hard to make that point. It is a good idea other than the creepiness, which from the politics side, Otto doesn't care about that. He's like, yeah, it's like no one can deny this is a prestigious match. Not even Otto, who wants his daughter to be the one instead. He can't deny. So he said he brings up the duty love paradigm. It's super clever and, and dirty. He says, look, it's OK to marry for love. I don't envy you. He's like, I, you're the king, but I don't envy you because you're having to everyone's making you marry for duty. But you could. He's he's hinting that you could marry for love. And that's what he it ends sucks. up doing. 
it sucks that you can't do what you really want, doesn't it? <laughs> Even though you're the king, yeah. Wait, I can't do what I want, yeah. As as much as awful as <laughs> Otto, fifteen year old, especially the king shouldn't be. It's a real hate the player, that. not the game uh, moment, or hate the game, not the player, whichever you prefer, because. It's a smooth move. It's dirty. It's underhanded, but man, it's the it is clever. He like knows exactly what yeah. chord to strike. He's playing a, Viserys like a fiddle there, and because a recurring pattern with Viserys is yeah, he's easygoing, but he does not like to be forced into things. He will get stubborn if he's being pushed into a decision, like he is with Damon, like he was with the marriage, like he was with. Stepstones. Stepstones. Yeah, exactly. Like he doesn't like being forced. And he, you can talk him into something. You can lead him to it. But if he feels like he's being forced, he's going to, his hackles will rise and he gets resistant. Otto guides him, herds him, encourages, nudges him in the right direction. And it works where other people are like, we got to do this, King. We got to do this now. Or this is really important now. You know, and he, that never seems to work <laughs> it's only been two episodes but multiple times that route is a dead end Corley shows that damon shows that yeah it's it's great character building because this is consistency of of this this behavior and uh how the other people try to you know, manipulate him based on it or or don't <laughs> i i didn't i didn't think about it before but that remember we were thinking about how the the maester was looking at, in the first episode was looking at Vasaris's wound yeah and the younger guy suggests a thing mm -hmm. and then the mace is like oh yeah that's what we should do i wonder if that was a similar thing like he knew better than to tell the king to do that but if someone else brings it up and he goes along with it then maybe the king will go along with it too yeah i wonder if he understands the same thing about the king that auto does i remember how he reacted he was like fine fine like he'll fine we'll yeah. do it like he was just reluctant. he didn't yeah. really have an argument against it and he but he was kind of he was still trying to downplay it like ah, it's, it's, it's just gonna go away and they're like I don't know about that, King. <laughs> this thing's like weeping. But this wasn't the maester <laughs> pushing him into it, right? Right, right. This is the maester letting him see maybe it's the right thing to do. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. So moving on to Allison and Rhaenyra and the Sept. Allison understands this quite well. She does this great job of mending the fences between Rhaenyra and Viserys right before the fences get blown up again by Viserys' handling of the situation <laughs> by not telling her, not including her in his decision-making process and dropping it all as a surprise. But this, it's, one, it sets Allison up as religious. It shows her more of a believer. She has more faith than perhaps the average, especially noble, would have. And especially Rhaenyra, who doesn't even apparently know how to pray. Yeah, I know. That was a very moving moment. She hadn't known how to pray. She's like, no, just just say what's on your mind. Just spill your guts, you know, and just that's what the mother would want. I and really then... didn't know how I thought Rhaenyra was going to react to that conversation, to be honest. Just because, like, if, if, if you're that old and you don't know how to pray, maybe there's a reason you don't you've never been interested in that. But Allison, I think, was was genuine that she wanted to help Rhaenyra get her emotions out and she genuinely thought this was a good way to do that and she was right more example of uh, her not being educated in certain things i guess no one even taught her how to pray properly yeah or i guess her, her, her mother well, maybe her mother wasn't religious either <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it might be also another demonstration kind of like the not knowing how to handle the the kingsguard selection that she just hasn't been interested in much less prepared for all these roles, mm, right? Yeah, it's yeah, just another example true. of how that she was the girl. She's not going to be queen, and she didn't care about it. She wanted to ride her dragon and eat cake, you know. But now she kind of has to. So okay, she'll learn how to pray. She'll learn the court procedures for the king's guard and so on. Yeah, and there's a, a sheriff detected a uh, a little 
clue here in the mm-hmm. intro sequence. The 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 marker for Allison actually has a seven pointed star to indicate who she is here in the uh, in the moment there. It's hard for me to find. <laughs> I have. Um, I really love the scenery in this one with all the candles and everything and the, the statue. I assume that's the mother. Uh, oh, there. And, yeah, it's hard, kind of hard to see here. She's no, got it I'm on zooming screen now. it in now. There you go. Now there you, you can, go. So see. You can see. the seven-pointed star there. So which is really emphasizing. Tower. And we've seen in a preview um, of, of older Allison, one of her outfits is a very severe gown with the seven-pointed star, like, necklace on, which really makes me think that she's going to really – get very religious yeah that could <sighs> show a bit of a dichotomy or or a repres or a maybe some friction between her beliefs and and valyrian culture and valyrian beliefs things like the prophecy maybe um other dreams things like that so well that's a, perhaps something to keep an eye on for later so Viserys and Alicent in private, even as she's mending bridges, things are out of control, sending her towards a confrontation with her best friend. But Gen- Alicent comes off as very genuine here, I think. I don't, I, I obviously her father is pushing her towards this, but her sympathy seems completely real and, and not fake at all. Um, the dragon, the dropped dragon. This is a really big deal. I think there's a huge amount of symbolism here. We talked last time about how the symbolism of the wound on his back that we just discussed was evidence of his how he doesn't take care of problems and how his reign is is also festering is this finger that's got this horrible wound that he has treated with maggot therapy by the way maggot therapy is uh, still used in modern times (laughs) and he can't hold the stone dragon his grip on the realm his grip on his own house of the dragon he drops a stone dragon (laughs) he can't hold on to it anymore it's very symbolic of his losing his grip on on everything um his family and the realm but Alicent fixes it. She presents him with a fixed version of it. This is also symbolic of how she's the one to solve the problems, to heal him, to help heal the family. It's it's really well done. What did what did y'all? Shay, we'll start with you because I know you you had you discussed this a little bit with Joe Magician on the stream uh, that you did with him after or immediately after the episode. Uh, the, the stone dragon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I um, thought it was very significant considering you then see Alicent is going to marry Viserys and give him more replacement dragons to replace the ones Birthing that he's lost. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was very, I think it was very on the nose. Yeah. Uh, very, very much so. But also, I, I, Beyond the symbolism of it, it's significant to me in what it says about Alicent as a, like a political player or as a person in general, because I I think that that was Alicent's decision to fix the dragon. But we had a little debate in Joe Magician's stream where he thought that perhaps it was a because Alicent goes and talks to Otto after the meetings and she told Otto about this and Otto suggested it. I like to give Allison more credit. I haven't really seen Otto give Allison a lot of guidance there. So I think that was just her being like genuinely kind and it was also very smart, but I think she just was being nice. I think so too. I think she saw it as something that would be meaningful to him. She's in touch with his feelings. They've hung out together. She's got a sense of what he cares about. She knew it would be a, a, a gesture that was well received. It was like he was very moved by it. And, um, yeah, so I, I agree. I think she, it was all her. But what do you think, Sean? I, I think so, too. I, I, I had a couple of thoughts, too, that it was, I don't know, sort of symbolic. He kind of 
dropped the ball, yeah. dropped the dragon, yeah. and he broke the splinter, the you know, cracked the house of the dragon or whatever. Uh, um, and it, she put it back together. You know, I had another thought. I don't know if this is maybe slightly tinfoily, but I suspect that they had already been intimate before he announced the marriage. Some other people on I Twitter think, think that too. I don't agree, but yeah, other people either. think that as well. So, so you're not I'm you're not, not alone. Confident. Yeah, yeah, I'm not confident. But one thought I had was when when uh, it turned out to be Otto knocked on the door when they were sitting there chatting. He seemed almost I don't know embarrassed, like he felt like he needed to straighten himself up. It seemed like he fixed his pants. I see. That's because he was um, moved you know. by her gesture of giving her yeah, the dragon. Uh, that's what had gotten him into that yeah. state in the first place. Yeah, and there it wasn't was like a cut there. I think it was an emotional right. intimacy no, no, that they reached yeah. and not yeah. a sexual yeah. intimacy. He had to become the king again. I don't her. necessarily think it was, but it's just one thing okay. that made me consider it too, that she gave him a gift. That dragon is her giving him a gift. She might've already given him some other gift. Um, and I, also, how long was she wearing that same dress? Yeah, that's the thing. That's, I, that's, that's thing what that I saw people point I don't think that's relevant Jeez. at all. I noticed that yeah. it's the same dress, but I don't think that's relevant because, A, like, her wearing the same dress doesn't mean anything. I mean, she she would even, she wouldn't, it, yeah. I, I, what is that, what does that suggest? It necessarily mean anything that she was wearing the same clothes she had the day before. Yeah, but she, there's lots of times we've seen that. Lots of other scenes I, that doesn't mean, like, it doesn't indicate yeah, someone staying in someone it, else's bed. I, again, I'm not saying this means, I'm not saying that this is proof. I'm saying these are things that made me consider it. Yeah. I feel like there might have been some other times where we've seen people wear the same thing twice, but I don't think it's normal. And they easily could have had her wear a different dress, but they didn't. It might just go back to that's her mother's dress, and that's what Otto told her to wear, so she's doing it. But it seems like her mother would have more than one dress. Uh, I don't know. I mean, she did uh, again, wear multiple dresses this. in the episode. Yeah. It was just that one I'm, scene she had, this, the blue one on twice. Yeah. Uh, like I, yeah. I sort of saw saying, this might be a little Tim Foyley. I don't, once again, it's the type of thing, I don't know how they could ever clarify it. You know, how could they ever make this be? Like, how do they tell us? Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. Some, a conversation next episode where she tells Rhaenyra. Yeah, we, actually, we also yeah, have to remember that this is a yeah. real taboo. Like if he gets, if she gets yeah. pregnant before they're married, that's a big deal. So I really like there's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't do it, even if like neither of them seem horny, you know, like like she's a young girl who's like very prim and proper and he's still mourning. Like, yeah, I just don't see it that and by that same token, that's a reason why he wants to get married so quick. He said by the end of this spring. Now, that's why they want him to get married. Yeah, I think he doesn't want to get married. I think he wants to stop being hounded. So he's like, yeah, let's do this. He's just been convinced that it's necessary. Uh, So and the way and the moment of the announcement is pretty brutal because he, one thing he could have told Corlys in private, it wasn't going to be, that's what he probably should have done. He's been like, look, we're not going to pick your daughter. I don't want to embarrass you in front of everybody. Cause Corlys gets ready. He's all sits forward. He's like, all right, here yeah. it comes. <laughs> and he also doesn't tell Rhaenyra. And this was the even more brutal on a personal level because he basically gets her buy-in on remarrying. And so she's like, I'm for it. Go ahead and get remarried, but doesn't tell her who, it, but she thinks she's signing off on Lena. She thinks she's signing off on him marrying Lena Valarian because that's yeah. what's been presented to everyone. Not her best friend. Not her best friend. She didn't see Allison coming at all until that great moment where they look at her and then Rhaenyra turns. It's one of the great acting moments where she turns and looks at Allison when she realizes what's happening. And yeah, she's like, why are drops. you in this meeting? And she's like, wait, why are you even here? And like, oh, that's why. <laughs> so Corlys walks out and then Rhaenyra walks out. And both of those walkouts could have been avoided with a little like, let me take you aside and talk to you in private. So. Yeah, which is where it's clear that Otto is manipulating things because he wants to alienate Coralies and he wants yeah, Otto is to... smirking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's happy to do that, um, even though it's not really good for Viserys or the realm long term. He's not being savvy there because 
they, they really shouldn't alienate the master of ships and house Valarian. Like they, they don't want that. Yeah. It's, it's another indicator to me of, well, of several things. Uh, one that Visaris didn't think about this or plan this very well. So he's just not a particularly good leader. None of them seem to be particularly good communicators. <laughs> yeah. Every one of the characters had to make this go more smoothly or to stop it from happening altogether or whatever it is. But it's also, I think, interesting to note that none of them are really playing the Game of Thrones very well, right? <laughs> not, they, like, think about someone like a Visaris or a Littlefinger or, you know, eventually even Sansa. Think about the idea that for, for months, you know, we don't know exactly how things have gone, but six months have passed. And Alicent and and Vasara seem to be meeting somewhat regularly, mm-hmm. right? To the point he's decided to marry her. And Renera, her best friend, isn't aware of these meetings. Corliss, who's trying to court his daughter of the king, isn't aware of these meetings. Does <laughs> no one have any kind of no master of whispers in play? Well, actually, like, <laughs> one thought there is that. It is possible that Coralise and Rainey's were aware of these meetings, and that's why they came to push Lena's claim because they knew that they, like they were going to miss out otherwise. Yeah, like they realized Otto got the jump on them, which he did. He obviously he sent Allison the day Emma died. I mean, it was like he was yeah. like, "All right, let's get on this now," because like Rainey said, someone's going to marry someone's daughter is going to marry Viserys. It may as well be ours, and that's also what Otto was thinking. But he just got the jump on them, uh, and his daughter was a better match like frankly they get along i mean (laughs) even though it is possible that they knew and were working against it but they didn't present that to us really in the show at all and he didn't seem to direct any anger towards Otto over this decision so it makes me think he was just naive and all of them are a little naive about (laughs) how to play the game of thrones yeah yeah i agree with that the the value of information in these sort of uh political working yeah i, I think yeah. You're, if corley's and rainey's knew about the allison meetings you might think that they would have said something to discourage it in some way they might have had some argument for why she wasn't a valid marriage opportunity but maybe they just didn't have a good argument against it also corliss is is sort of like brash emotional storm out isn't a very good political play mm-hmm. or doesn't show that he was prepared for this in any way it, and and uh, maybe a little bit of a tangent but he's just kind of disappointed me as a character not in necessarily how they're presenting him but like his decisions or his wisdom or whatever i thought he was going to be a little bit more of like a a hero leader type (laughs) and i'm a little bit more like i don't know about this guy he seems like (laughs) an arrogant uh, he's super ambitious yeah (laughs) emotional reactive ambitious guy who does i don't know anyway I, i the idea that you know he or Kristen get extra credit for haven't seen real combat i want to give more credit to viserys for having stopped real combat I think. yeah i still think uh, that's a virtue of his yeah he when he says that to corley's that's a good line of his where he says it's my job to avoid war until it's unavoidable which that's like yeah maybe he's not good at it but that value as a value i agree with it right <laughs> um so that's that's really important yeah so he managed he managed this very poorly you know what about allison's reaction i read it as ashamed because she knew like she sees her friend's reaction and not surprised like she knew it was coming but i think some people thought allison also didn't know that 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 announcement would be made 
Uh, I think Shay, you. I thought that originally, but I think I, I, I I thought originally that maybe she didn't know, but I think ultimately she had to have a feeling because I think Viserys would have asked her before announcing this, at the very least. And then when she's invited to the small council meeting, even if they don't say, "Hey, we're going to announce it there," she should figure it out. Um, They didn't bring her in there. He didn't invite her there to tell her no to be like, "I'm not marrying you, by the way," but uh, (laughs) I just wanted you to be here for. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just you know, Allison was. Very afraid to bring this up to Rhaenyra, and so she made a very flawed decision to not tell her. But uh, but, like, but she was probably asked not to tell her. Viserys, no, he's Viserys. Death no, 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 no. Oh. He, he asked not to tell her about the meetings. But at the right. point when they say we're gonna get married, Alicent should have said to Viserys, "Okay, but we need to tell Rhaenyra private." You know, there's some conversation okay, that yeah, should have yeah. had there. I see what you mean, yeah. and I think. She was maybe continue, maybe she was told again not to say it, but in my opinion, she was just scared to bring scared, it up. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. she knew that Rhaenyra would be mad. I don't think that that makes someone two faced. I don't think that that makes someone terrible. She but I have do think agency that, here. Yeah, yeah, but I do think that Rhaenyra is not gonna forgive her easily. Like she might try to forgive her in the next coming episodes, but she's in the back of her mind gonna be thinking like a lot of fans are. Like she's a snake. I can't trust her. Yeah. I think for some of the reasons you said that she didn't, well, I mean, I think she probably pieced it together in his mind, but I don't think there was an active conversation where he told her because if he wouldn't even tell his own wife, we're about to kill you to save the baby. <laughs> why would he tell her they're getting married? That's and since point. she, yeah. I, I, I do think she would have told Renera. Like, I think that probably as that meeting was unfolding, she was realizing. Yeah. She's like, why am I, I in the small council meeting? Yeah. 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 Let's let's continue with on this line of thinking um, with our mid roll here. I'll take a few questions and take care of a few random details. Laura Brondos asks: Is Allison ambitious at this point? Right? Is she already seeing? Uh, is she just a little seduced by the idea of being queen, or is that purely her father, or something she's going to grow into later? Maybe I, I'm not sure. I don't see any overt signs of ambition, but it might be the same kind of thing where she's seeking protection, like Mazari, where she's like, "Well, maybe this is the safest thing for me." Uh, yeah. her, her, she doesn't. She doesn't seem like a big fan of her own father, so she might prefer a father figure like her husband, which is a weird thing to conceptualize. But her. Viserys treats her better than her own dad does at this point, uh, to, to, so far. Yeah, I, mean. I really like the idea that when Rhaenyra is bemoaning to Alicent, like, oh, my father just treats me like a little girl, there's the idea that Alicent in her head is thinking, oh, I wish my father treated me like a little girl. He treats me like an, a, gr- a grown woman. This is not all it's cracked up to be, Rhaenyra. Yeah. And so I, I, yeah, I just, I just feel for, for Alicent. And no, I don't think that she's motivated by ambition, but I do think she'll begin to realize like, oh, I need to hold on to this power with everything I have or I might get killed. Like, I think she's going to be motivated by fear, just like yeah. Mazaria brought up. I think that is definitely a, a great through point throughout the whole episode. I, I, I think that she might, Alicent may, by observing her father or maybe the other people around her, her the gear in her brain to recognize the ambitious play is there. Mm. But that doesn't mean she is ambitious. Yeah. But okay. it might make her move toward ambition more quickly once she's in this position and has those gears turning in her brain. Yeah, once she maybe learns more about politics and where the threats are coming from to her to her family, to her position, that may change. That'll, that'll grow into some of these things politics it's a pretty power politics changes everyone right like she's she's it's a pretty common and and theme that seems to hold true 
through life, through history, that power corrupts. And I'm sure at least part of that is once you have a little power, you, you don't you don't want to let it go. And you usually use that little bit of power you have to get a little bit more. And and the more you do that, the, the less you want to let it go, the more you have to lose by letting it go. And it's a trap that you fall into, I guess, you know. Yeah. Uh, George F. Uh, sends a message on Patreon. Says, "Is the marriage to Allison more insulting to House Valarian because Otto is the second son?" That is possible. Yeah, I think it might be. I think, especially, it's been shown that Corlys is quite proud. He didn't take the rejection well. He didn't take the not moving on the stepstones well. So yeah, he he kind of expects to get what he wants. He has some pretty good reasons for wanting action in the stepstones, but. He doesn't deserve to marry his daughter to marry the king, which that that's one of the things probably you didn't you didn't like about him, Sean. I'm guessing that he felt entitled to that. Um, there's a maybe slightly confusing line when he's talking to Damon at the end that that George wanted me to clarify. He says I, when Damon says I wasn't aware you had a king for a brother. The question was, well, we didn't know Corlys had a king for a brother. Well, this is a snide remark. He's Corlys is trying to compare himself to Damon and Damon is rejecting this. He's like, yeah. no, we're not that similar. He's like, I wasn't aware you had a king for brothers. He's like trying to say we're men. We're cut from the same because he said we're cut from the same cloth. He's like, I wasn't aware you had a king for brothers. So he's actually trying to keep that distance because <laughs> at first Corlys's line of inquiry is a little insulting to Damon. He's his pride is tweaked by that. And he's like pushing back. He's like, you can't talk about my brother like that. Only I can, you know, Damon, uh, I don't know, twisted on him a little bit too. When he's pointing out to, to whatever extent they're similar, Damon presents that is, are you here to remind me of how lowborn? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of implying that auto, uh, the, the, the Corliss is lowborn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's like, no, yeah. I'm not doing that. In fact, like we're, yeah. we're both men of action. We go at it. We jabber jaw. We tit for tat. <laughs> <laughs> so, at, uh, you know, I, just, I want to point out real quick that it, clearly it matters to the people in, in this, in power here. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of agreeing that it probably is more of a slight to uh, House Valerian because Otto's second son, whether it should be or not. Just think about how they presented Kristen Cole, the like yeah. son of the steward of <laughs> Blackhaven. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, they, they wouldn't even name give the father <laughs> a name, you know. Aaron Ginsberg says, "What sept were they praying in? Magor burned the one on Visenya's hill, and Baylor isn't alive yet." Yeah. Okay, so. It's an unnamed sep, but it is absolutely in canon, book canon. There was a grand sept built by the faith. The faith paid for it. The high septon paid for it. That was built before the one that Magor built, or burned, rather. So, of course, later, yeah, Baylor later comes along much later, and Baylor's sept is built. But there was a grand sept. Here it is. There's the picture. That is from book canon as well. So... Uh, this was when Aegon adopted the faith, the High Septon was all about it. They're like, yeah, you should. And so they, they were like, you need a big church, Aegon. He's like, well, I don't know if I have the money for that. Like, we got you covered. We'll pay for it, but put it in, in a prominent location. And well, that looks pretty prominent to me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's the, that's the explanation for that. Thanks for the question, Aaron Ginsburg. Very good, deep cut question there. A great example to me of how this story mixes the epic with the mundane Otto and Alicent, right before he leaves for Dragonstone, we have this moment. He complains. He's, he's dressed up in his armor. He's got all his garb. There's the fireplace, all the decorations. Kristen Cole shows up, and it's about to be this big showdown. But they just talk about her biting her nails. 
right? <laughs> just how like you're talking, you're tearing yourself apart, and it's like, yeah, because you put all this pressure on me and putting me in this position of intrigue, and I'm 15, and like I said, can I just be a little girl for a while, maybe? And the way she's looking at him is very telling. She is not giving him a happy face. She is like, I am mad at you, or I hate you, or something like that. You know, another effect of the position she's being put in here is she's sort of losing her confidant, right? Like yeah. if she's courting her best friend's father and her best friend is the person that she talks to about things. Like what if your confidant, what if the person you had to talk about things was the king, right? Like your personal problems would seem so trivial. You, you don't have, I don't know. It, yeah. it's, it's so awkward in so many ways for her to be put in this position. The weight of that relationship. Yeah. Like what do you do as Alice? And like, what, what could like, she, what move could she make? You know, like assuming you had no <laughs> stresses or troubles in the first place. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know that her and her best friend probably gossip about boys have crushes on, right? Kristen Cole or whatever. Was she supposed to tell the king about her crushes now? Like, yeah, it's yeah. So Frozen Whirlpool sends a super chat. Says Damon said low standing, as in held in low regard. Yeah, of course not low born. That's that's not what you meant to say, Sean. Yeah. But yeah, like his 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 status was dropping like a rock. Like lots of failures and setbacks, and people coming in front of him in the line of succession or poised to have children that will jump in front of him in the line of succession, etc. Yeah, let's talk about the Dragonstone scene. Starting at the end of it, we see the example of what I talked about at the beginning, her being a bit of a rogue princess. She goes away without her father's permission, but solves the problem quite well, which maybe suggests she was right about the steps. And maybe had they taken her advice on the stepstone, maybe it wouldn't have gotten so out of hand. If they showed force, like, oh, wow, dragons, they do have that impact. People kind of forget how intimidating they are. Like, maybe Otto did kind of not think that through all the way. Who knows what was on his mind, but it certainly changed his tack at the time when it happened. Um, and pretty much everyone with him also. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, everyone was like, they pulled their swords out, fly, and they're like, mm. <laughs> Maybe you fly dragons over the stepstones, and, and some admiral or some prince is like, whatever. But the average sailor might be like, ah, I've got to go back home now. Yeah, you know? they're <laughs> like, not, their morale drops a step or 12 yeah they're like yikes we got to face that they're gonna make us fight that i don't know about this <laughs> we were we had it easy before we were picking off pirates now we got to pick off dragon riders are you kidding me that's a lot tougher job so yeah earlier we talked like okay, go ahead. A, a little bit of a tangent but in the same way that even the king's position seems precarious he kind of has to make these decisions to maintain his allies to not start wars yeah. to, to to prevent dissent within the ranks What's well, true of other people too. Some pirate king, you know, somewhere else would also have to deal with those issues yeah. among his followers when a dragon shows up as a show of force. You yeah, know? you're right. No matter who your military force is, morale is going to play a huge role in the readiness and effectiveness of your fighting force. No matter whether it's an official army, a group of mercenaries, or a bunch of pirates, no matter who they are, the group morale is, is huge. Uh, so... In kind of typical Viserys faction, fashion, he sort of backs down right he she kind of explains her position and she's, look i was right and he kind of has to admit she was right <laughs> and he's like yeah okay and he's like look she, she doesn't say it but she's like look i gotta take some i gotta do things if i want to be your heir and earn my place and be respected i gotta do stuff kind of like damon has to do stuff to not just be attorney knight like Kristen cole isn't like the one guy who has real fighting experience like you guys are all green. Like, Rhaenyra understands this. Some of the others are kind of jumping ahead, jumping the gun. 
But she's like, look, I got to just involve me in the process here. You know, let me do this. It wasn't that dangerous. My bro- my uncle's not going to kill me, you know. Viserys will learn. He'll learn. You're right. Yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Otto just like hammers Damon, just lays into him with the insults, really heavy handed. And I understand why y'all are like, what's his angle here? This is because I, I think it's just he's it's pure pride, personally. Like he's he is letting go of his normal like cautious approach he just really hates damon and is tired of him and wants to seize the opportunity to push him back a peg not realizing that damon can push back on him you know i will say when when otto said goodbye to alicent before he went to do that there was a slight tone there to me to me that he was that he was he knew that he had he was facing some danger that this could be the last time he spoke with her and they have to be cautious not to bring too many men. Then it does look like they're preparing for a fight. Yeah, yeah. That's part of his, like, choosing the right number of men is is, is relevant as well. By the way, on the, in that dragon scene, I thought it was so interesting that the dragon keepers brought, like, a brazier for the egg. How to cool keep was it. that? Yeah, that was just, really neat. That was just yeah. interesting. That, that was really cool. They were just ready to put that thing back in. Like, it needs to continue incubating. Like, this, it's, it needs to be in the heat. Keep it. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be treated properly. <laughs> you know, bringing Kristen Cole was a decent move, too, because... It's it's like a win win. Like either you, <laughs> either this new guy gets some decent experience, or this new guy was just some dude anyway. We're not upsetting some big house by killing off their yeah. old son or whatever. That's a good point. That's He's true. maybe more expendable and yeah. needs to prove himself yeah. too. That's a good point. Like there's there's that's the theme of the episode is proving oneself. But uh, Harold Westerling is is really sh- reflects the moment well when. Otto is just laying into Damon and Westerling kind of looks down like he's a little ashamed of it. He's like, this is not how I would do this. But Kristen calls here for it. He's like, yeah, I knocked you off your horse. <laughs> <laughs> he's ready. They're all ready to go. But and, and, and Otto realizes he's gone too far and he's the one who provoked all this. But he's like kind of passes the buck like sheath your effing steel. <laughs> that was a great line because he's so commanding when he wants to be. It's really good. He's so good at this. <laughs> he's you, a great Why do you even draw your sword? Yeah, he's like, you fools. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell you to do that. You know? <laughs> it's like, you kind of did. You didn't, but you kind of yeah. did. <laughs> and the dragons were so cool. Like, we already went over our dragon moments, but just the, the fog and the sun and the long, narrow wall, the way Cyrex positioned herself on either, like, part of the railing and long boy stretching his neck out looking all intimidating and then his kind of wariness at cyrax being above him like it's the way i look at like when we have fish in our aquariums and then when the one fish is like swimming above the other fish it's like they're wary you know like it's like you have positions like you have the high ground except it's not ground it's the high water you have the high water yeah so (laughs) you know i had another thought too when uh oh man cyrax is rhaenyra's dragon right landed on the bridge i i almost expected some crumbling you know from the bridge can this bridge yeah. even hold this huge dragon but it, i was reminded that dragonstone had some mystical elements in its creation yeah right? it's yeah. not standard stonework it's the you know the fused uh, stone blood yeah. magic mm-hmm. or whatever was used to create dragonstone so it makes sense that it would be extra strong to support a big dragon landing on it yeah i totally agree yeah that was that was really cool the way the two dragons were the bookends and the two armies are in the middle and then rainiera in the center of it you notice too how rainiera damon tosses the egg at her she catches it and then she kind of looks down at it, and then she smiles. She has, like, a genuine, like, hey, I did it. Yeah. And, you know, like, yeah. Took care of this problem. Like, she was proud of herself. And rightfully so. It was well done. 
she confronted him. She was brave. She called him out on his bullshit, you know? <laughs> she, like, called his bluff, basically. It was effective. And then Mazari, then we go to Mazaria, and she calls him out, too. Oh. He's called out three times in short succession. Once by Otto, not very effectively. By Rhaenyra, very effectively. Then Mazaria, also somewhat effectively. Um, what were you going to say, Sean? I just wanted to point out that I thought the, the imagery of, of the bridge and Dragonstone and everything, it was interesting how it was sort of clouded, foggy, smoky. Yeah. The sun was kind of... I, I couldn't decide if that had some symbolic meaning mm. or just like made it, give it a more unique aesthetic or if maybe it's supposed to be you know, shrouded in fog on, you know, it's ocean location or, I don't know. I just thought a lot about that present. It made it memorable, if nothing else. They talk a little bit about that in the behind the scenes, uh, the house that the dragons built a featurette, just about what they did to, to make that happen. And maybe they put more thought into it. Um, Cool. So Mazaria raises even further some of the crucial issues of this episode. We've kind of discussed them off and on through here, but let's zoom in on these particular things. Privilege is part of it. Damon has the privilege. He can steal a castle, steal an egg, all these provocations, all these lies, and he doesn't really suffer at all for it. Like, there's no real consequence for him here. And that's kind of what he expected. He knows that's what he gets by being the brother of the king and he knows who his brother is and he knows that his brother lets him get away with this stuff it's too it's a bit funny to break down this really is just a tantrum isn't it he just all this was just to get his brother to come visit him and it doesn't work yeah that is basically what it is he's just being very petulant and he wants his brother's love and attention and it's funny because Corley's later is like trying to get him to see that he's just being a petulant boy and he's like look why don't you go prove yourself against some real enemies but he can't come and say it that way because damon's very touchy like he's 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 very proud and you got to talk to him just right like rainier showed that it can be done by the way that was almost a lesson corliss learned from visaris Mm. uh he when when visaris was telling him like look here's all the the weaknesses that you're showing right now and visaris is like okay well what's your plan right it's like, oh, well, marry my kid. I don't know if the marrying his kid, I don't know that marrying his 12-year-old daughter fixes any of those problems, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, for sure. pretext for presenting the marriage. That was but, the uh, most BS but, argument for sure. I rolled my yeah, eyes. I was, like, I was like, okay, what's, what's Corliss's plan going to be? What's he going to say? First, you got to marry my daughter. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah, it's like it's like the it's like the point Lord Strong made earlier. He's like, that guy's still your vassal, even if you don't marry his daughter. Like, the enemies of the throne are aware the sea snake is your vassal, whether you're married to him or not. They still have to take his fleet into account no matter what happens. It's not like just marrying him makes him more of a threat. Not really. He's still a dangerous guy with a lot of money and ships and who's on the side of the king, even if he's kind of on the outs. So, yeah, it wasn't. You're right. It wasn't a great argument. Yeah. But Viserys is... You know, maybe he's influenced by that sort of thing. I think they thought it would work, and it almost did. Yeah. Corliss also feel like maybe learned. I don't know. I don't know if I'm giving her too much credit, but he might have learned the lesson that he that this plan you're presenting to Fasaris to marry his daughter didn't actually address all the issues. Yeah. So when he goes to Damon and Damon's like, "Okay, well, what do you think I should do here?" He had that this will address your issues. You will get to prove yourself in battle. You will gain more following. You will, et cetera, et cetera, if you go with me to find the stepstones which also happens to be good for the realm. You know, everyone's, this is a, a this is a big game from everyone. Um, 
and and I'm pretty sure Damon's going to do it. Yeah. Right? Like, and so Damon doesn't realize the danger he's putting other people in. Just like Viserys has the privilege to sit around doing his models all day while the realm is kind of mismanaged and other people are doing their things and the Stepstones is getting out of hand and all that. Damon doesn't see... He's a little arrogant about his bubble of protection. He thinks it extends to everyone around him, including Mazzari. Mazzari's like, no, it does not. It's you only. You're the only one safe in your little bubble here because you're a Targaryen. He's very naive to think that applies to other people. Think about the concept, the the real world concept of like a whipping boy, where the idea is you have someone important, a royal-blooded person that law and behavior and... Uh, justice they don't allow the physical harm to come to the prince or the princess because of the law no one no one has the authority to do that not even because no one can touch the royal person whatever laws they have in place that make them untouchable so you have a a stand-in that gets beaten instead and the the reason this works is that you have a boy and you take that boy's friend and this little boy doesn't want his friend being beaten he doesn't want himself being beaten either but since that's not an option and we're going to actually probably see this later in this story in maybe season two or season three, an example of this that comes along. But there's one I can point to you in another movie that isn't about a child. A lot of you have probably seen the movie Braveheart. Remember what the king does to his gay son's lover? He shoves him out a window and kills him. He didn't punish his son for having a gay lover or for not being a good prince. He took, he killed his friend as a way of punishing him. And that's exactly yeah, what sure. could happen oh, here. Mazari could be killed as a punishment for Damon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like none of the parents should want any of the children to be beaten. That, I don't know, crazy me. <laughs> they should reevaluate some of their yeah. system in the first place. Exactly, so whipping boy. <laughs> but- you know, on the subject of whipping boys, it is that it is kind of an interesting exercise in empathy for royal people to 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 go through. That it could be a it could be a genuinely decent learning moment, an important, crucial learning moment that you. If your child does not want their whipping boy or girl whipped, then that's a good sign for them being empathetic towards others. And if your boy wants his friend whipped, you've got a Joffrey. It's a good arbiter. Watch out for that kid. (laughs) The one who's like, yeah, he acts up because he wants to see the whipping boy get punished. Yikes. You know, I wanted to point out that moment when... uh... Damon and Masaria talk. Yeah. There was a great little bit of symbolism there. Hmm. What what did he do when he came in? Uh, he hugged her and then took all his weapons off. He was disarmed. He was disarmed. Yeah. Disarmed him. Does anyone yeah. else think his dagger looks like a microphone? The hilt of it like it, it's it's got this broad like tip at the end. It totally looks like a microphone to me. <laughs> I, I need him to drop it so he can have a mic drop moment. <laughs> he needs two turntables. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's an interesting change from Mazzari. We won't get too deep into this because we're not sure where they're going with it and we're not trying to deal with spoilers. But in Fire and Blood, she really does get pregnant and loses the child. There's the microphone. Shea has that, <laughs> see what I mean? Yeah, it looks totally looks, looks like a microphone. <laughs> Valyrian steel that, like, microphone. Netted no. metal material. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it looks like, I guess it scales, right? Yeah, it looks, it looks yeah, like yeah, scales yeah, yeah. probably, but... Yeah, it's I see a table yeah. and a microphone. I see microphone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he holds it up the side. He holds it to cracks. He's like, Rah! it's like, oh my god, that's super loud. <laughs> <laughs> so Mazaria, yeah. So, so in the in the book, she really she does have a child. Doesn't have a child. Gets pregnant and loses it, and that's sets up future events like some anger from her potentially. That's the story we hear in the book. 
Yeah, so it's possible the story, the history is yeah. wrong or it's been yeah. changed. Yeah. A story we hear in a book, yeah. right? It's a story we hear I, in I the book. I haven't read the book, but from what I understand, the book is told from different perspectives and all the perspectives don't have the same facts, which I think is a really great It is, although I don't technique th- for storytelling. There's I don't no, think this one has alternate versions. No, there's no alternate version, oh, okay. but it still, still wrong, the point but, could yeah. be it still could be wrong, absolutely. Because yeah. um, if the source didn't realize Damon was lying, maybe that story never got out that Damon was lying about it. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, she must have lost the child. Yeah, she had a child. yeah. That's just a conclusion from, oh, she never had the kid, must have lost it, yeah. So uh, it's, I think it's perfectly reasonable, and again, it, with with Fire and Blood, George has not had to tie himself to any of these stories, so he really can just decide whenever he wants to, to go <laughs> any way. He, I, I really feel strongly that for a lot of this, he does not... He does not. He has not decided. Mm. There's no true. There is actually zero true telling for a lot of these events. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true that. <laughs> true telling that. <laughs> Don't let George Bush get involved. And we know. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and we know it's uh, not going to be a plot point later because she says to Damon she can't have children. She t- made sure that she'll never have children. So that it's not unless she's lying, which seems very unlikely. It'd no. be a hard thing to get away with, given he's sleeping with him regularly. <laughs> so so, uh, so that's really important. And, of course, we've already talked about her great take on fear and needing protection to be liberated and, and how that – it's a very real-world concept. You, mm-hmm. you do sometimes yeah. have to sacrifice a little bit of freedom to actually be liberated, to be protected from the dangers out there, because you know, there's true freedom, but true freedom is – you have the freedom to be die of exposure and be eaten by wild animals. <laughs> you know? Yeah, true freedom might be cold. Yeah, <laughs> I I really like that they had Mazaria decide to, um, you know, whatever, whatever the medieval be child free or whatever, whatever, maybe get her tubes tied, whatever, whatever they do for yeah, that. that works um, I'm time. sure that it's some terrible experience that she went through, but that's how much she did not want to have children. And it makes sense as like a sex worker who works in the brothel, or someone who was enslaved. Apparently, yeah, she wouldn't want to have. Like, like, there's her... many reasons why she would she would feel strongly about that, and I I just appreciate that perspective in it, with the context of having seen Ama in episode one and her childbirth it just uh I, and i appreciate just not seeing a miscarriage like that's just this is just so much more interesting and refreshing and different and all that yeah it um, really is i totally agree and it's it's a great job by the showrunners the writers of bringing these like very personal human stories and making them part of the big narrative the main narrative and how it affects it in major ways in compelling ways, in understandable ways. Like, you can't understand the what it would be like to be faced with the dragons and the prophecies. But, yeah, not wanting to have children born into slavery. Yeah, like, yeah, I get that. Not on a personal level, but intellectually, of course, I wouldn't want that either. Uh, Dro the Gooner sends a super chat, says, in, in, In-laws in European royalty often married each other. Uh, i.e. King's brother marries the Queen's sister. Could Sir Otto also be trying to arrange a marriage between his son and Rhaenyra? We speculated about this a little bit as well because they changed the age of his son who was in the joust, Gwen Hightower. They made him his eldest son. We don't know if Gwen Hightower in the show is married, but if he's not, absolutely he might try to marry her to Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra, the question of Rhaenyra's marriage is a huge open one. It's not, she's not going to remain unmarried. They're going to force her to get married and that's a small spoiler there, but it's pretty obvious that that's going to happen. And it isn't even really been revealed to this point in the show that 
it seems that obvious Corliss to me Lauren that she's going to get married. It seems obvious to me that she's going to get married to Kristen Cole. Everybody marries Kingsguard Knights, and that always goes really well. Yeah, so of course, yeah. You know, uh, Otto's oldest son ought to get married to uh, Corliss's oldest daughter. <laughs> seems like the twelve-year-old. All the arguments <laughs> they were making about like tying alliances and strengthening a realm seems like they all apply there. For Tara Incognita, who asks, "How many kids does Otto have?" We don't know what it is in the hot D canon currently. He had multiple sons and a daughter, Allison in fire and blood but on the there's a house of the dragon guide.com that you can go to and they have a family tree and they do have Otto, alicent and Gwen. but they clearly said eldest son which implies yes. there are other sons that are not on that family it's tree. Be so at least I, one more so son, i wouldn't yeah. take the house of the dragon guide as being infallible is that an HBO? Uh, it's an HBO resource. resource. Yes, that mm-hmm. is an official site. I recommend you. Like, I've tried to use it on Firefox, and it always makes my computer like have trouble. I have to use Chrome for it. So, anyways, it just be aware. But it's pretty cool. You get to take a look at like all the different marble ball things for the um, the for the small council table. There's a family tree that won't be spoilery for anyone. There's a map of Westeros that only has two locations noted. But it'll. I, I, I'll be checking it every week. <laughs> Nice. Do, do Corliss and Rainey's only have two daughters? Two. Uh, they have a son right and now? a daughter. They have a son and a daughter. Lena yeah. and Lainor. Yeah. The two. Remember at the tourney, there were two little kids that were oh, holding each other. Yeah, girl. boy and a girl. Yeah. 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 yeah so you have. I forgot. Yeah, we have seen him. I come. I actually forgot that. Yeah, we have you. Seen yeah, him. you've seen him, and he was really into the fighting, and Lena was a little scared, but they were both excited. So probably less of an age gap between that young boy and. Rhaenyra than there is between Alicent and Versaris, yeah. right? Like, not wrong, yeah. yeah and that is a great like, age, yeah. Both of them are unmarried. And so all they were talking about, talking about how great a marriage Lena would be, well, someone's going to marry her. She's still a great marriage. She's yeah, still a great gonna, like yeah, political Lena power move for somebody. And who's it, the eligible Valerian bachelor <laughs> son going to marry too? Yes. Too important. It adds to my frustration that that there are other options besides this incredible age disparity. It's an inappropriately (laughs) young girl being married. Like, they have other options that they're not considering. And primarily because they are also sexist, because they don't want to be a woman to be queen. Like, they make up with their sexism by pedophilia. I don't know. Maybe that's too extreme. Well, they don't. Yeah. I mean,. we can, I mean, I'm fine with us calling it that. They don't, they don't even in world consider that pedophilia. Maybe, I mean, obviously they probably should, but they're not like, oh, I'm engaging in pedophilia here. They're not like, I'm, I should feel guilty about what I'm doing. I don't even know if they think that well, way. Well, they, they do probably feel should. guilty about what they're doing. Yeah, maybe they they don't felt when so they're, guilt. when they're 12, yeah. when she's 12, yeah. yeah. But like, right. Allison's but Allison, 15. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't really seem to have any yeah. mixed feelings about her age, I, really, at all. I, I, I had the thought that, like, maybe setting up the, the scene with Asaurus and the 12-year-old would be so awful that we might be more acceptant of Asaurus with the 17 or 18-year-old. Well, but she's also 15. Yeah, well, the actress uh, isn't. Yeah. Like, the le- actress playing yeah, Lena really better. is about 12. Emily Carey's, like, 20 or 21. So, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, we're, we're a little bit fooled by the actual human beings in, in play here. I had the funny thing where I, we watch it. I'll, I'll keep mentioning this on our, our streams because we watched the episode with an unsullied friend friend 
and she had Frida, and she's been very had very interesting uh, reactions to things. Yes. As someone who does, she's never even seen Game of Thrones. Like she doesn't know anything. She's totally unsullied. Yeah. Totally unsullied. So it's been she's super unsullied and vocal. It's a great combo for us getting takes um, that we. But have so basically, she saw little Lena, and she's like, "No, no, that can't be." And she's like, <laughs> she starts laughing at how ludicrous it is. Like that was her reaction. That was my reaction too. Like, don't it just looks silly, you know. <laughs> like that can't be the case. And then it cuts straight from Lena to. Viserys and Allison, and Frida goes, "Oh, this looks a lot better in comparison now." She like it was very transparent to her that they were trying to make that seem a little better. Her, her other big reaction was to seeing who it was Corlys was talking to. Oh yeah, it's like when Corlys is like my they, family like, came around. Yeah, and they're showing all the artifacts and his like loot and his cool like room that he's sitting in, and she's like, and he shows that it's damaged. She's like, "Oh." She's like, oh it's, oh, getting, it's real. getting real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also guessed in that moment they were clearly slow rolling who that was going to be. And I was like, is he going to be Kristen Cole? Like, when is Kristen is Cole going to become a bad guy? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, Damon. Uh, Damon makes more sense. Yeah. yeah he's like, oh, that does yeah, make a ton of sense. Being yeah. Kristen right there. That yeah. You're just really waiting for Kristen to yeah. fit in somehow. Like, How is this going to happen? You know, you're really oh. on edge for that. Yeah. I saw someone on Twitter post that the, you know, the comparison or, or the, the reaction of Vasaris uh, with the 12 year old girl. They, have you seen that little bit? It's like a guy in a subway just going, police, police, help, police. <laughs> <laughs> so sort of like last episode this episode starts with talk of the step not talk of the stepstones this time which is a we kind of gruesome it. scene of crabs and crab feeding but it's on beautiful at the same time the yeah. stepstones like that 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 the shots of like it's so like sparse and bare with all I, I don't know like i found myself very struck by the beauty of it all yeah all those crabs like how did they yeah, get them all those crabs to do that. Like, is that yeah, CGI? I, asked people, I think apparently crabs. Apparently, some people told me. I don't know if I should believe them that crabs are known to do that. But gather in large. Hey, we see yeah, like no, the, the walk I, I, of the I crabs. I kind of think that he. I mean, I, I would guess that he carries barrels of crabs and he lets the crabs loose, but that crabs will eat flesh even mm. if you're still alive. Yeah, in the book it says they're just staked out on the shore, and then high tide comes and the crabs just come to feast. They smell the, the yeah, food. Yeah, so maybe they do just come. It. Maybe maybe you're right, and uh, and that he doesn't actually. It's just it's such an interesting thing to me that the crabs just eat human like alive people it's like yeah if they're they're dead but if one of those guys was still alive and moving and the crabs were eating him yeah, so was, that's like very brutal that's gruesome so it was brought up at the beginning of the last episode then kind of let go for a while and then brought up right away again here and at the end it's clearly a big setup for at least the next episode probably more than that but uh, a great point of comparison here is Corley says one of the reasons they're doing this they have no reason to fear us. We've given them no reason to fear us. He says, what reason do they have to fear us? On the other hand, the reason people have to fear Crag has crab feeder is uh, what he's doing, first of all, with hammering stakes to the beach and letting his foes get eaten by crab. Second of all, look at the guy. I mean, he we're not supposed to judge people on, on appearances too much, but this guy's a real challenge because, man, he looks like a villain. But he's also apparently been struck by grayscale. That's apparently why. Uh, yeah. I that's what I was wondering. I think I asked my wife at the end of the episode. I was like, "Is he supposed to have grayscale?" I think nailed that, it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah he, he did. did have grayscale, and they in, in the behind the scenes they have a great look at them applying it all and showing how far up his body it goes. And they talk a bit about 
why they chose to go that way and it really the crux of it really is just like yeah they thought it would make him creepy and scary and all that and it's true they also gave him like that cool hammer that you were referring to aziz Mm -hmm. um that was pretty dope too and i wonder if he i wonder if he it looks like or not wonder it looks like he wears a variety of masks they are somewhat similar but they it looks like there's some different colors to them maybe that's just the way they come out in in the stills that they have reflections on them or something like that. But I'm not entirely clear on that. That will, I'm sure we'll get clarification on that later. It's a small thing. I'm just curious about the costuming. So he, any pirate worth his salt would have more than one. mask. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of pirate only has one mask. So this sets up allies of circumstance. Corlys is very frustrated over the long standing inaction, which is he points out how it's harming the realm, but it is harming him most personally as while also harming the realm because his ships are the ones most directly impacted his profits are the most directly impacted he's got the most ships thus he stands to lose the most from the loss of shipping routes and here we have damon with lots of setbacks both of them have been suffering setbacks they have both been rejected on their marriage plans they've both been rejected by the small council in a sense or at least pushed back against or at least insulted by they both have been have lost out on their personal ambition and a lot of it is that it's not stated but a lot of it is at the hands of Otto Hightower Otto outmaneuvered Corlys on the marriage Otto is allowing potentially Corlys could see it this way as Otto is allowing the situation and the stepstones to continue because it makes Corlys weaker. It lessens his hold on the council and lowers his esteem in the king, one of the two most powerful houses at the time. You can see why Otto might be like, yeah, if we just let this problem linger, the house Valarian loses some prestige and some power, and that's exactly the kind of thing he would want to see. So that's not stated outright, but it's a strong undertone. Both Damon and Corlys have big problems with Otto. <laughs> so, but also, as we pointed out earlier, Damon hasn't fought, hasn't actually proved himself in anything. All he's done is extra flexed his muscles as a prince shown off shown how invulnerable he is to uh consequences but he hasn't even in it even in attorney he freaking cheated yeah right? he like, did. He, like lowered his lance to the horse's legs so. no that's, called him oh, that's a good sign for battle i feel like you want to cheat in a actual war like, yeah show like, that he might actually be pretty good fighting on the stepstones if he's willing to fight dirty that's a good point so what, so he needs to prove himself against real opponents, and this crag-ass crab feeder is shown to be pretty severe, pretty serious. He looks, at least he looks the part of a villain. And so, Shay, you wrote in here, that is a Sons of the Harpy mask, Yeah, huh? they did. He salvaged it along with other things from other other places, but yes, it is confirmed in behind the scenes. To but be, he's not Giscari. No, he's not Giscari. He he's just, like a, he's he's a, just a traveler. Guy, so. <laughs> So oh, that's very interesting. So he's he's been around like Prince Admiral. He's like got a little minor Euron vibes there where he's been to a lot of different places and stolen a lot of different stuff from a lot of different people. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's that that will if Damon can uh, defeat a man like that, then he'll have some serious rep all of a sudden. It's funny to think of Damon being classified as green in this case because <laughs> the greens and blacks. He's uh, <laughs> he's not a green, <laughs> but but. Lord Hightower is. He's sometimes <laughs> also. At the moment, that's some, still going over my head, just to be clear. Right. Sometimes he's also green with envy. Yet. Yeah, green with envy. That's true. There is some <laughs> green with envy. The greens, there's many meanings to green here. But yeah, so we'll, we'll get, we'll come back to that, what that means later when it starts to happen. But I, I don't think it will be long. I think, uh, I believe the greens and the blacks will sort itself out before the older actors come in. So that, that means it'll be within the next three episodes. 
Are, Do we know? Is that has that been announced? Like when that shift will happen? Yeah, yeah between it's, it's right yeah. at the halfway point. Yeah, between five and six. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's something I've been speculating on. So I guess that's a slight spoiler, but everybody knew it was coming. They just didn't yeah. know when it was coming. Yeah. So yeah. I'll call that a minor one. Um, yeah, okay. It makes sense that they wouldn't have changed two episodes with the end of the season to the old actresses. So, <laughs> yeah. You know. One thing we're curious about, which we'll discuss later in research, but we just want to drop the mention now, is there seem to maybe be some scenes in previews for this episode that maybe didn't get used. Maybe they were cut, like Damon going to get the egg. Right? There were scenes in the trailers for that. Maybe yeah. that's coming later. In my theory, yeah. I, I think I determined that I think that that is later. I thought that it was cut originally, but in the in the photo, Damon has short hair and, and in this is, scene, he has long hair. And the egg so, is a different color, too, And the right? egg is a different color, exactly. That's a really important clue as well. The hair is so, a huge clue, but the egg is perhaps even more of a yeah. glaring thing. It's not. A, it's a bronze egg he's holding in the scene where he's pulling up another egg. And this is a very dark black, like oily black egg. So I, I watched the previews before the season started to like, you know, just there's just hype. It's exciting. But I'm trying hard to not like go back and analyze and figure it all out. I want to take it as it comes. Yeah. But I did remember that. And so I'm sort of assuming that this episode was maybe setting the stage, like the precedent has set mm -hmm. for him to sneak in. And I thought that maybe if he's going to go off an adventure with Corliss, I, I wondered if maybe he would even get a second. That's part of my question earlier about how many total Targaryens are there. Mm. I wonder if there would be some other dragon rider and he's coming in to get another dragon or to get someone to go with him. Or maybe even someone who's not a Targaryen could ride a dragon. And I, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, uh, non-Targaryen yeah. riding a dragon? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> no, actually, you're onto something uh, here. I mean, mm -hmm. Danny had two or three dragons. Uh, yeah. can, could, could the Night King wasn't control. a Targaryen. He rode a dragon. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or was he? Yeah. <laughs> or was he? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, maybe he could still manage more than one dragon even if he's not riding them, or maybe someone else could ride it. I, I, anyway, I, I do sort of suspect part of him teaming up with Corliss is going to include sneaking back in and taking an egg or a well, dragon I think or something. Worth yeah. noting here is that Rainies is a dragon rider. She has a dragon of her own that we have not seen yet um, in an episode. Corlys is not. Corlys is not. Rainies is. is. Yeah. And so you could imagine that perhaps her children might be dragon riders. Clearly, Lena, at the very least, has an interest in dragons, is my point. Like, she's talked all about dragons that whole scene. Um, that reminded me, Vagar, was that one of the Aegon's that Sisters, was Visenya's dragon. Like it's, yeah. it's the largest living dragon at that point. An oldest, which is yeah, usually oldest, one and the yeah. same. But well, yeah, it, it, but I guess Valerian is dead, but Vagar is correct. MIA. Correct. So, okay. And what was the third dragon? Meraxes was Rhaenys' dragon, but Meraxes died Meraxes. Um, in Dorne. killed in Dorne um, during the Dornish. Okay. There's a reference to that in the intro sequence. Um, Rhaenys' little uh, bloodline circle has uh, Meraxes' skull with a bolt through it. Uh, that's what they chose to define her. Like, great. <laughs> the I death, would love that if I was rainy. Death moment. Yeah. Like I did all these things. I was known for poetry and all this. <laughs> define me by my death. So let maybe the bolt has a poem written. On it. <laughs> <laughs> Answered prayer. So let's talk about some callbacks, references, minor mentions, other miscellaneous details. Uh, a really clever Easter egg is the be very beginning of the episode. They're announcing the death of Sir Ryan. Sir Ryan's last name is Sir Ryan Redwine. And this is what's on screen. They said Sir Ryan's died. And they're literally showing a glass of red wine. <laughs> nice. Clever, clever. Otto uses the phrase 
if you choose violence here, which is maybe a callback to Cersei's I choose violence <laughs> in season, I think, seven of Game of Thrones. That was a, a popular line because it was part of the trailers ahead of time. And we were all excited because it was in reference to Ungregor, the mountain. We're like, oh, yeah, we want to see him in action. So, yeah. I remember someone on Twitter changed your name to I choose violin. <laughs> nice. <so> much. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Otto uses the phrase, I mean, sorry, that's about to repeat the same point twice here. Allison, his daughter, rather, asks Viserys if Westeros could be another Valyria, which is an odd question, um, but an interesting one. And it makes me think of Euron, actually, because Euron, a lot of the theories around Euron in A Song of Ice and Fire are that he's going to take the Hightower, which Allison has never, maybe never even seen, but she, because she was born in the Red Keep. But still, she's a high tower, so she's the one. At, and and a lot of the vibes are Euron is trying to turn Westeros into a new freehold of Valyria, and so that is maybe a nod to that, or maybe just a coincidence. I'm not I'm not clear on that. I'd love to hear other takes on that one, but hopefully they're truer to the word freehold, if that is. <laughs> <laughs> There's two mentions of the Ironborn in this, and we're wondering. At what role they'll play. Certainly in, in book canon, there is a role for the Ironborn, a pretty significant one. And the two mentions are pretty subtle. One of them is the candidate for Kingsguard, Ryman Malister. Otto says, wait, we might want him because his family is chief in charge of fighting the Ironborn. Like that's their primary duty for centuries. That's what they've been. And she's like, ah, give me someone who's, if they've, have they fought any Ironborn lately? <laughs> Has this guy fought any it actual seems like Ironborn? he would have fought some Ironborn, but clearly he didn't. He looked old enough that, like, he, I, I feel like he would have actually had some fighting. I get, well. But clearly not. I just, I, it, That's actually canon. Oh. Because when. Oh, yeah, okay. I guess you're Theo, right. Theon says, or maybe it's not Theon, but someone said, I think it's Theon who says that the, the bell, the Warning bell, the Malister's Ironborn or Coming Tower hadn't rung in hundreds of years until the Greyjoy Rebellion oh. of 290, Balon's mm. Rebellion against Robert. So, By the way, shout out to the casting department for that Malister. There's just something about him. He looks like a Malister to me. He looks like an eagle. I, I, I don't know. He, I don't know if anyone else is going to agree with me. I don't know what the quality is that I think is Malister-esque, but... That guy was a good cast. It didn't go very well for them. This trip to King's Landing. There, one guy gets refused for the king for the for the King's Guard, and one of the others was killed. He, he was one of the bodies that was just dragged away with a bloody head. So, the, so one of the Malisters was killed in the tourney. So, yeah, this is like a big whiff for them. They missed on yeah. both counts here. Yeah, that's true. Too bad for them. By the way, I, I kind of made this point earlier. I'd have maybe mentioned it in the past in general. If the Malisters have held the Ironborn at bay for so long that they haven't needed combat, look, like, hey. That, that's the guy I want. If you're so good at fighting, you stop anyone from fighting you. <laughs> I think that's better than someone who was not established enough that someone tried to fight How did him. you get them to stop? Yeah, we yeah. need that. Like, yeah. use, t- use that on this crag-ass crab feeder guy. Whatever you did, uh, yeah, let's do that. The other mention of the Ironborn is not even in the subtitles. When Viserys is getting ready to announce that he's marrying Alicent, he's staring out the window, and there's just he's kind of lost in thought. And the council comes in and they're talking. You can barely hear them. And the only word I could make out was, well, two words, was blah, 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 Iron Islands, blah, 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 blah. So hmm. two of the councilors were chatting about it as they walked in. I think it was Strong and Melos or Strong and, and um, maybe Otto. No, I think it was just Strong and Melos. Yeah, maybe there's only two it could have been. So that's something to keep an eye on. And in one of the other little tidbits that relates to this is the new Lord Commander of the Kingsguard is Harold Westerling, the excellent Graham McTavish. 
The Westerlings. Remember who the Westerlings are, Sean? Does that name ring a bell? It does. I are they a, a branch house of Lannisters? Am I remembering? They are a vassal of the Lannisters, not a branch. But and they've it's a married vassal. into them as well. Remember who Rob Stark's oh, bride was a Westerling, Jane Westerling. Jane Westerling, yeah. But a Wester. There was a different Jane Westerling. Was one of the six brides of Magor the Cruel, and the Westerlings. Also, a current Westerling is married to the Lannisters right now. The current bride of the Lord of Castle Rock is Johanna Westerling. We and she's if they go this route in the show, she'll be very important uh, taking the role of the Malisters <laughs> fighting against the Ironborn while the realm is at war with itself. The Ironborn are like, hey, here's our chance. <laughs> and uh, Joanna Westerling is like Guess it's up to me. Yeah, she'll be like, <laughs> and as much as some people are, are missing the more heroic characters, I feel like she'll be. They're coming. You know, yeah. there, there's a bunch of characters like her that are coming that are more clearly heroic. They're still not all just going to be like 100% good. It's war and you have to do terrible things that people will debate. But there's a whole lot of, of more likable characters. We're only two episodes so in. Far, <laughs> so far, all we have is Kristen Cole. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of folks noticed, Ashea, you included, that this Damon Mazaria moment has some Stannis Melisandre vibes. The way they're looking out the window at Dragonstone there, and they're not like, a married couple, but they are together. And tell yeah. me you couldn't believe that that was just Stannis and Melisandre. Yeah, Melisandre's hair like, was like that in some moments. Yeah, she, yeah. she had that piled on, like, top top bun it's like an soc look like i think they're trying to they're, they're drawing from that iconography of that of that being an soc style of, of hair they're they're on dragonstone she's from another land was formerly enslaved, enslaved yeah. as a child can't uh, have children yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's advising him to go a different direction than he was planning he's and, a second son yeah. right yeah, he's yeah. he's, he's, he's <laughs> jilted by his brother yeah, <laughs> the Stannis Damon parallels are are rampant, <laughs> but we've been through that in another spot. Uh, so let's talk a little more lore, like a little deep cut lore stuff. It's some of the most fun stuff. This will be our last topic today. All the cool stuff at Driftmark, which apparently we're going to see more of. But that was just a tease. Ryan yeah. Condal, in fact, told us in the interview today, he's like, you just got a little tease of that. There's going to be a lot more Valarian like loot and stuff that they made to make yeah. his castle look cooler, like. That barnacle thing? What is this bust with barnacles on it? Like, what the heck is this thing? All I can say is it's cool, but I got no idea what's going on with that. That skull thing, too? Like, some deep... It looks like a deep sea creature of some kind. Like a sea serpent or an eel. Maybe it's a sea snake. Hey, it could uh, be a sea snake. Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a, a fish head. Yeah, you know, it does look kind of fishy. Fish but, but I mean, thing, eels but are half fish, yeah, sort yeah. of. Is it a roly-poly fish head? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he mentions that the Driftwood Throne... He mentions the Driftwood Throne, which is similar in concept to the the Driftwood Crown of the Ironborn, but in this case, it was supposedly a gift of the Merling King to to House Valarian long ago, as is the legend that they may have made up, but maybe there really was a Merling King that gave it to them. Who knows? <laughs> maybe the Merling King was a person who, had a, who just called himself that. <laughs> he also suggests that House Valarian is older than House Targaryen, which he says certain texts say that. I would like to see those texts. Please FedEx them our way, Lord Corlys. We'll happy to peruse he's, that for you. He's certainly a biased source. Yes. but And again, it's to try to f put himself on an even footing with Damon before he makes this pitch to invade the steps. And so there's a, a bit of a bit of an ulterior motive here. And Damon sees it. 
but <laughs> we covered that precedent part. Has, precedent has been set for him to overreach. Yes, that's I, true. I wonder how many more times it'll happen. Uh, we also have the Valyrian lore, which, as I said in our interview with Ryan, he expanded on a few things. There's this uh, this building that Viserys calls the Anogrion, which the subtitles gave us a spelling on. I don't know if that's an accurate spelling, but whatever. And it's the building where the blood mages do their business. They do blood magic there. And, and Ryan referred to, like, they had technology. They had things like artifice, magical artifice, perhaps. That they used to keep track of the bloodlines and how it worked. And that, that so that, that, that the, the thing that you see of the bloodlines is not just some thing that they, you know. Yeah, so he, he basically hinted at the idea that they could track blood, like blood mages could track bloodlines and, and like almost like a DNA test or something along those lines, which is a really yeah, fascinating idea that hinted. I had never thought of before. Yeah. It's really, it's really neat, like a way to track your own ancestry. Like a, it's twenty three and Me for for old Valyria. You know from Martin's interview that you did, and <laughs> he specifically wants to avoid having a quote unquote system for magic. Yeah, but our interpretations can allow something like maybe Valyrian blood, it, like a pH test or something. Yeah. Maybe there's some you expose it to phosphorus and it turns green. Like, like oh, okay, they're Valyrian. Yeah, they, they can ride dragons. They That's have a good the gene point. or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they judge it whether it turns green or black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. great. And, and and he also, Viserys alluded to the fact that the, the highest ranking Valyrians would live closest to the center of the volcano. Like the castle was built into it. And the closer you are to the heat and flame, the more powerful your magic. We speculated on that in our Dragonstone episode, if you recall, Sean. We talked a little about that. Maybe mm-hmm. some of it's yet to be discovered with... Stannis has been down there. Melisandre took him down there. And Salador San tells Davos about this. And we'll probably see it when Daenerys goes to Dragonstone and actually goes into these tunnels and caves herself. Maybe with Tyrion at her side. So we'll actually have a, probably have a POV look at this later. But tantalizing I, I for like now. spun off in a bunch of thoughts at one point. Because there's still a bunch of like uh, uh, cause and effect questions, right? He called it the source of their magic. Is the volcano the source of their magic or do they store the source of their magic in the volcano because mm. it's safe there did the source of their magic blow up and cause the doom of valeria yeah. i think uh martin also alluded to the fact that something went wrong you know that it caused that so yeah anyway so another interesting observation it's only two episodes but so far the dragon keepers don't seem to speak common they seem to only speak high valerian which kind of furthers their development or their conception as a Valyrian thing. Maybe they're monastic, somewhat monastic. There's a reason that they are kept away from just mixing with other people just to keep them focused on their duties. Like, like that's why I use the word monastic because they seem like they're segregated from the rest of the population. Yeah, they might think it makes it harder for them to corrupt. Makes it harder uh, for someone you to can't like. Bribe you them can't bribe or, them. Mm, you can't, you know, do anything to get at I the like dragons. It. They can't teach someone else how to do it. Yeah, they're all and they're always seemed like a little disheveled and dirty. Like that's just part of their. Yeah. Like, it's hard raising dragons. Yeah. So and and it just raises the profile of we've both episodes. There's been multiple dialogues in High Valyrian, which is super fun <laughs> for us nerds. We love that, and and I'm sure we're gonna get keep getting that. We already talked about Dreamfire's egg going into the brazier. But Dream- nice to get Dreamfire. But the word Dreamfire, that name's been around for a while. We've been aware of the dragon Dreamfire for a while. But the name Dreamfire is suddenly a lot more evocative now that we have more Targaryen dreamers on record and more room for potential with Targaryen dreams. So 
the name itself just speaks it's just more suggestive than it was before before it was just a cool name I'm like ah oh, dream that's really cool now it's like oh more ideas as her dreams Shea's idea of Viserys like seeing through Balerion's eyes the multiple mentions both episodes so far Viserys mentions that Balerion was the last living creature to see the uh, Valyria before the doom and so they really want us to make sure we know that <laughs> yeah I even wondered if we would get some sort of flashback you know I, I don't know quite how it could be relevant what they would be wanting to show us maybe it's even setting up something that's not even in this show you know I don't know how much of like a world they're planning but it does it, it seems like a seed you know? yeah yeah a dragon seed if you will mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes so that's really cool i believe we already you know, sp- I, I just want to i also want to point out that Dreamfire was hatched while Aegon reigned mm. during the reign during of Aegon. I, I wonder Ooh, who yeah. named Dreamfire because obviously reyna mm. was the one who, t- who tamed her at like when but that was after she did like she didn't hatch Dreamfire. so that's uh interesting i i wonder if she was named before reyna interesting if reyna named Dreamfire, that's super interesting because we have already theorized that reyna is the conduit of the knowledge of the dream going from uh the usurped magor's line to back to jaharis because jaharis his place was usurped and then he got the throne back so who would have told him the secret reyna might be the one because she was it was her brother that was killed by magor and her place that was usurped so maybe she would have been the one that was told alongside her brother when they were in the position to be heirs so that looks pretty good. That's a quite possibility. So anyway, Dreamfire got a lot more interesting. Um, GMK9 says, History of Westeros, how did he steal the egg and no one knew? Well, well, they knew. They did know. That's yeah. That was the whole point, I, I, which is why I brought that up. I wanted to clarify that Damon wanted to get his brother's attention by doing something showy. So he clearly just waltzed right in there, said, hey, I'm going to take an egg. The Dragon Keeper said no. He said, well you're not going to stop me. And, and they didn't. And they yeah. didn't. And then that's, and, and still his brother did not come, even though he, he sulked there for six months thinking his brother had to come deal with him and he didn't. So he, he went and tried to provoke them. They can't really stop him. Basically. Yeah, it's they like can't we, stop him. He doesn't have permission, but they can't enforce that. It's very similar to Jamie Lannister's line. When Cersei went into labor and he goes into the birthing chamber and they're like, men aren't allowed in here. And he's like, which one of you is going to kick me out? <laughs> and they're like all right then you can stay <laughs> so <laughs> this is very i think this is very similar he just walked in and was like who's gonna stop me and that's where they're like how could you how the series even says how could you have let this happen they're like well it was damon <laughs> we, what were we supposed to do you know otherwise they would have probably per- killed the person they might have stopped some random person yeah they probably would have yeah another parallel was uh rhaenyra on the bridge you know and uh uh was it auto someone said hey you know escort her back to her dragon yeah, she's yeah. like eh, get out of my way yeah. don't upset my dragon yeah she <laughs> says my dragon is very protective of me yeah it was that yeah, was a clever I'm line coming through. yeah <laughs> you guys aren't stopping me here yeah <laughs> yeah that was pretty smooth it was it was that was that's the old uh velvet glove threat there it's like there's a fist in this yeah. glove but it's i'm presenting it nicely like my yeah. dragon is protector. Yeah. It's like, don't mess with it. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I like that. Very good dialogue. I was very impressed again with the writing. 
of dialogue and everything else. But yeah, no, I think I that is a good thing out. to point out here is that they don't have much dialogue to go off of for this. They have a few lines here and there, but it's really dialogueless. And so that is, they have the plot, they have the world building, they have the setting, but the the weakest and, and you know at casting is usually going to be pretty good. But yeah, the the weakest, the the biggest risk was probably was the dialogue. Yeah, and it's been good. There's already been some like memorable one-liners so far. One of my favorites is from last episode. The there's yet to be a man born who had lacks the patience for absolute power. That's one of my favorites so far. But I think we know the, Sean's favorite. What's your What's your Sean? You'll learn. You'll learn. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is really good. <laughs> and uh, the other one, Rainey's line is: "Men would rather put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne." That's a rule. The very like, powerful line, well, line, well yeah. written, not only Im- significant, important, but well phrased, poetic. You know, you know. So, folks, how about this? Send us your favorite one-liners. Drop them in the chat. Send them to us on Twitter. Hit, hit, drop them on Discord or Facebook. We'll be following along with this all season long to find our favorite lines. Maybe at the end of the season, we'll do a little. Oh. Be fun. rundown of some of our favorite lines amidst other end of season preparations but i don't really want to think about the end of the season just yet we got yeah. a long way to go and i don't i'm not eager for it to be over <laughs> i want to say another one that i'm hesitant to call my favorite because it's kind of like dark it's something i don't want to root for but it was just well presented and i don't know poetic like you said it was time will tell <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah about that was, about a, that was a good line yeah you're three, right <laughs> three words and says so much absolutely yeah. TKOK Podcast Network sends a super chat, says, give me a telenovela spinoff of Damon and Kristen just being snarky and making out a lot. <laughs> Their ship name is Damon. Yeah, just Damon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say that I'm on board with Damon Kristen. I'm more on board with Damon Otto after um, Emwelia tweeted a great comment. Dotto? Yeah, I, I, I call him Ottoman. <laughs> Ottoman, yeah. That's Ottoman. Good. Oh, that's good. Ottoman. But no, I, I saw that, yeah. that three-frame comment. Yeah, where he's Empire. like, oh, what, are you looking for me? And he like shows off his me. butt. <laughs> it's really funny. I was wondering when you'd come. <laughs> yeah, it was... Yeah. Handcuff me. Yeah. <laughs> Something that we're going to look into that there we have. Oh, there it is. Handcuff this. <laughs> That's from Emwelia. <laughs> <laughs> look at that middle column. You found oh, me. <laughs> I, I don't know Jeez. if y'all know, but this is based on a very iconic um, comic strip. Um, nope. Anyway, <laughs> this is a reference to something that is it's very um, on point. So okay. anyone who knows that comic will appreciate this. I do not. Uh, something for yeah. So something for when we have more time. Is we're gonna take a closer look at the architecture of Dragonstone, compare it to this Valyrian model, and see like if there's any comparisons, if there's any things that are similar. But that's something that we'll, we we didn't have time for in the less than one day since the episode aired. But that's something to look at, as well as the intro sequence which we talked about at the beginning. We're gonna be taking a, a look at that. Probably make a, a video on just that. Remember to join us on Saturday at three for the next preview episode. And, of course, next Monday at 6 for another one of these non-spoilery episodes. Do you have any final thoughts, Ashea or Sean? Just that I'm very excited to release the Ryan Condal interview, hopefully late tomorrow night, Tuesday night. And uh, I just really want to say I, I I had a good feeling about going into the interview, but he was he was just really knew his stuff and passionate. And I, I really liked talking to him about the series. Yeah, same here. He was great, no doubt. Yeah. Y'all, y'all will see for yourselves not long from now. What about mm-hmm. you, Sean? Any, any final thoughts? 
Just one note that I had that never came out is I appreciate Viserys's reluctance to use the dragons. I, I, I don't even remember if I mentioned last episode, but he was like, men should have never messed with these in the first place. I don't know how active George or Ryan Condell are trying to parallel them to nuclear weapons, but that's how I see them. Mm. And I really appreciate the reluctance to use them that he has, whatever other faults he may have. I'd love to um, speak to that actually for a second. I didn't, I didn't address that, but that made me think about why Viserys would think that what he saw, you know, um, what, what he, what, what he saw that turned him off the dragons or what, what unnerved him or whatever. Was there an impetus for that? And maybe he saw some violence or maybe he saw something, but something I was thinking about or... the idea that if we, if Vagar is very old and is kind of, uh, deteriorating that Balerion was very old and would have been deteriorating. So it might've just been one unnerving to see like, a kind of rotting away like a, a dying dragon and having a connection with this might have been a lot too Balerion might have just been so ancient that it was hard to be in Balerion's brain type like of thing bonded like, to we, a we, creature that has dementia yeah that, that kind know, of dragon like... dementia like some kind of thing like that is possible I, my point is that Balerion might have been particularly unnerving to Viserys being bonded with this very powerful, large, old, you know, ancient dragon. And since we have Vagar foreshadowed to be part of the show, I mean, the fact that that huge dragon exists is clearly a clue someone, something's going to happen there. And we're, we're told very interestingly that Viser- Viserys has this great line where he says, yeah, even dragons can get lonely because Lena says that people hear the song mm. of Vagar on the coasts of Driftmark, which is their home island. That's... That was maybe not made clear that Driftmark is the Valarian's island. So Vagar might be there, which is a, a clue as well. But if if someone bonds with that dragon, maybe they acquire some of this loneliness or maybe the dragon becomes less lonely. But it's an idea that maybe that deserves a little so sad. Attention. It's so funny to me how I feel so sad about these these damn dragons yeah. when <laughs> they're just killing machines. They're gonna kill, they kill so many people. But I feel that I mean, there's lots of animals I like that have killed people. You know, it, it just it does make me think about the person that type of perspective, because I really think about the dragons dying and I get all weepy and I get sad about it. But then, like, I try to tell myself like no like these it's really kind of for the best ultimately that they're decommissioned if i try to look at it in those terms but it's not decommissioning it's killing a living creature so yeah. it's not that simple related to your point yeah. about balerion too Oshea, is that viserys says to rainier he's like i'd rather face the balerion the black dread than or f- face the black dread than do this it's like that was your dragon yeah like, are you, were you afraid of your own dragon? So that was a very telling that the example he used was his dragon was like, I'd rather face blah, but I'd rather face my daughter or face the black dread than face my daughter. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> he was not, not sometimes. always, but yeah. sometimes in some moods that he's in or she's in. Yeah. So that was, that was I can imagine telling. a million different reasons for it. Some might be some personal connection to Balerion or Balerion having some flaw or whatever, but you know, they, we have seen over and over again how destructive and dangerous they are. Yeah. You know, you don't necessarily need some weird subtext to just understand they're very dangerous and very powerful and something, a power that maybe men shouldn't have, which is what Vasara says. And um, I, 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 even Danny, like, was presented with the burnt child that a dragon killed. You know, yeah. like that, 
that might be something Viserys also has to deal with. If there's 10 dragons flying around every now and then, it just burns some village up, and he just feels devastated about these innocent people that were killed. And You know what? Uh, I, I can see a million reasons That's a great reference, Sean, because one, I think it's Rakara or Ego, one of Danny's blood riders, says, points at Drogon and says, there's Balerion born again. Mm, mm, <laughs> the black yeah. dread born again and drogon is the one that like you said is the one that kills the child and Hosea, poor Hosea, the little girl instead of sheep so mm, you might be onto something there yeah maybe balerion was uh did some extracurricular murdering of of humans mm. that wasn't sanctioned by whoever the writer was at the time we'll see I'm sure we'll get more tidbits. The, the show is, is she seems committed to giving us little mini lore drops like this and filling out some of the history. So something to look forward to amongst all these other things to look forward to. My one other closing final thought. Sure. Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Engage with me on Facebook or anywhere. It's obviously about this show or Better Call Saul or whatever else. Yeah, do it. Sean, Dan, at Dancing Sean on Twitter is his his Twitter, uh, we're at Westeros History. Ashea is at Miranese Not. So, yeah, why not follow us all while you're at it? Yeah, you're right. It might be some new folks in here that haven't been uh, following our podcast before this. So that is a good call in general. Well, uh, definitely recommend you check out the synopsis before each episode. Um, we put a good amount of work into those. Ashea put some great visuals and some humor into that. Also, make sure you check out our Ryan Condal interview, our George R. Martin interview, are some related episodes, the Freehold of Valyria. We've got an episode on that. We've got an episode on the Valyrian Wars of Expansion. We have an episode on the Doom of Valyria. We have an episode on the Stepstones. We have an episode on the Free City of Lys, which, of course, relates to Mazaria and Craghast Crabfeeder and some other characters that may yet come along. And, of course, we have an episode on Dragonstone, where we mention some of the depths and some of the symbolism, some of the stuff about Stannis and Aegon and Daenerys and what we could expect to see Maybe we'll get some new clues throughout the rest of the season. Until next time, we hope to see you on either Saturday at 3 and or Monday at 6. Until I'll then. see Andor soon, too. <laughs> Andor. <laughs> we weren't trying to talk about Star Wars, but that word, it just gets an Andor. Yeah. Don't get us started. That's right. So until next time, Valar reread us and Valar rewatch us.